author of Hidden History, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, and Survival of the Richest, Donald Jeffries separates the real from the unreal. Fact from fiction. Fact from fiction. Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries. And welcome to I Protest. This is Donald Jeffries coming to you, as he said, right outside the swamp of Washington, D.C., as we do every Friday at this time. My guest today is a, a very distinguished guy, a New York Times bestselling author, J. Margolis, who comes to us courtesy of uh, Scott Enyart, who's a friend of the show and RFK assassination witness. Uh, we're going to talk about Marilyn Monroe a lot. Uh, Jay has written a, a couple books on Marilyn Monroe, the one that uh, I've read uh, most of, My Merrill, which is a kind of a personal anecdote by Terry Carger, who was uh, right in the midst of show business with Jane Wyman and lots, lots of other interesting people, very inside Hollywood stuff. And then he is also, Jay has also written The Murder of Marilyn Monroe, Case Closed, which is very interesting. And uh, he's working on a couple of books about the RFK assassination, including one that is going to pretty much tell um, Scott Enyard's story. He's right. So we'll be talking about all these issues and more. Right, Jay, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. My pleasure. So how did you, um, what led you to, what, first of all, were you just, uh, were you a big Marilyn Monroe fan and you just decided to look deeper into it and then you discovered there are all these questions about her death or how did you, how did you come to be, to write, I guess, three books on Marilyn Monroe? Well, um, what happened was I went to Borders Books when they had Borders Bookstores. Now there's kind of a few and none of them. And I picked up a book by George Barris called Marilyn in Her Own Words. So it's kind of like Marilyn telling her own story because George Barris had interviewed her. And what really stuck out to me was that George Barris says, I will always believe that she was murdered because she promised uh, for me to come out from New York to California on Monday morning. And this was a Friday promise. She dies on Saturday. So he thought, well, how would she kill herself the next day if she was really insistent that I be there on Monday? And so there were these three camps, accident, murder, suicide. And so I said, well, that sounds unresolved. Nobody seems to agree which one it is. So I wanted to kind of resolve it. And I noticed that Dr. Thomas Noguchi, the coroner, he ruled out accident right away. He said there were enough drugs in her blood to kill three people. That's not by accident. So he said there's either a suicide and a murder. And the, way, the reason he says that is because he always considers all his autopsies to be murder unless proven otherwise. So he always starts out with murder. And then if it you know, gets disproven, he puts whatever it is, if it's suicide or what have you. He ended up putting probable suicide, which is a very strange thing because it's not a certain type of thing. It's a probable. It's not even like suicide. This is probable. And so in, in private, Dr. Thomas Noguchi, I interviewed a, you know, George Barris's daughter, Caroline, and she told me that in private on a phone call, Dr. Thomas Noguchi called her up looking for her dad and said, hey, I always believed that Marilyn Monroe was murdered. There was never a suicide. I was told to cover this up. And they didn't even do a good job. They you know, had the caps to the pill bottles back on. If it was really a suicide, all the pills would be on the floor and the caps wouldn't be on. It was just too neat of a, a scene to be a suicide. And he said that her stomach would have to have undissolved capsules if she to match the amount that was found in her blood. The equivalent in her blood was equivalent to 64 pills, about 47 nebutals and 17 chlorohydrates. That's not to say that she swallowed those pills. That's the equivalent that was found in her blood. You know, but when the ambulance attendant got there, Schaefer Ambulance James Hall, he noticed that 
um, you know, the, the publicist, Pat Newcomb, says, oh, uh, she's in here. Um, I think she took some pills. So that directed James Hall, the attendant, to go smell her mouth. And he noticed no odor of drugs, no odor of pear. Now, what odor of pear is, is like a fruity smell from chlorohydrate. And he said that, well, she couldn't have swallowed that because, you know, her face is turning blue. But, you know, she couldn't have taken these pills. It was very suspicious. And there was no indication of vomit. So if she had vomited these pills. There was no indication of that before he arrived. Yeah, I mean, there's a, certainly, you know, the section I wrote when I sent you my book on Bard fame, and I'm, I'm pretty familiar with it. I want to shout out also, I don't know, have you heard of William Matson Law? Do you know William Matson Law? He's uh, a, yeah, Donald, I'm an author, yes. Yeah, he's, he's. Uh, I hope he publishes his book. He's been working on Marilyn Monroe for, God, probably 20 years, but he's written a lot about JFK, and he's got a book about RFK coming out as well, so you have a common interest, but uh, he did a lot of, one, one thing I was impressed with him is he, uh, I don't know if he told you this or not. Natalie Trundy, who is, uh, if if you're a big fan of TV from the 60s and 70s, you would recognize her face. She had kind of an unusual look, and she was in a lot of guest roles, and she was married to Arthur Jacobs, who went on to produce the Planet of the Apes movies. But uh, Arthur Jacobs, I guess, was a publicist for Marilyn Monroe at the time of her death, and it, she told this story that they came and got, you know that, where they came and uh, somebody came and talked to him during the concert. Basically, he found out about it before he should have, but he, William tried to uh, set up something with Natalie Trundy, and she said she talked to him, and he flew out. He went to the expense of flying out there to see her, and basically her boyfriend or something turned him away at the door. It was, it was like a scene out of Hollywood. Did he tell you that story? Um, I haven't met him, but Scott has told me about him. My, uh, my co-author of yes. my RFK book that I'm working on, Scott Enyard, has told me about him. Yes, William, William, I think, spent, I don't know how many I was talking to Scott, too. And Scott, I've interviewed Scott, too, as well, myself. So... Uh, but so there's there's so much to this Marilyn Monroe story. As you know, Joe DiMaggio Jr. She talked to that day. Uh, who was the guy that uh, I guess the Latin lover she had or something that then kind of disappeared? Was the yeah, yeah, yeah. So talk a little bit because basically the mindset at the time, uh, and this I think happens too often. If you, if you read Von Bar in front of me, you see I'm skeptical about this. I'm almost to the point of Randy Quaid with the Star Whackers. You know, where they tend to try to. Uh, put up that these these trouble these stars are troubled and it's inevitable you know they're either drugs or something they're out of control so of course they kill themselves or die it's no surprise and then you find out their questions there and Marilyn Rose certainly uh, more than most she was difficult to deal with with the directors and everything but uh, and I was impressed by uh, Terry uh, Carter you know reading that book she was very adamant about then she you know was really good friends with Marilyn Monroe that, that that she would not and her whole family was friends with that so, uh, so right. uh, I what did DiMaggio feel did Joe DiMaggio who was so reclusive and never opened up did he ever open up that he had any kind of suspicions about it absolutely he told his friend Harry Hall he said that he uh, quote unquote held Bobby Kennedy responsible for her death unquote and he also yeah. told uh um, you know, Morris Engelberg, who is no relation to Maryland's physician, Hyman Engelberg, um, that he was the executor of Joe's estate and a close friend. And he said to Morris, he said, look, somebody killed her. Somebody murdered her. This was not a suicide. And I know who did it. And, you know, see, in fact, Morris said uh, to biographers, he said, look, he said August 8th, 1962 was her funeral date. But that was supposed to be the date they were supposed to get remarried. And this is confirmed by Maryland's half sister, Bernice. Mm -hmm. And uh, the daughter of Bernice, Mona Ray Miracle. And so they have confirmed that they don't believe in any of the suicide theories. And, you know, they also uh, say that, that they were going to get remarried. That's why Joe was so upset. 
is because, wow, he's like, you know, my, you know, wife yet again is not going to, you know, um, kill herself um, you know, because she's going to be his wife again. And it's just not going to happen. It's not something she would do. And, and so he knew that she was not going to be suicidal on that date. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned uh, you mentioned her, Marilyn. Just kind of as an aside, it was a, I, I was astounded when I found out uh, a few years ago that Marilyn Monroe had a half sister that lived to like 2014. She was like 95 years old. I mean, I don't I, think very many people knew that. I mean, that's that's really incredible because you, it's you think of Marilyn Monroe, that, so much life. Yeah, and too. Did, did she did she express did she express doubts about her death as well? Her half sister. Absolutely. No, then no belief in suicide from the half sister or the daughter of the half sister. No, they didn't believe the suicide hmm. thing for a minute. They thought that was a sham. Hmm. So basically, it seems like everyone around her it doesn't seem like it. And Noguchi, you said, was pressured. And of course, we'll talk about how Noguchi overlaps neatly into the RFK assassination because, you know, as you know, he's my right. friend John Barber, who's uh, read the forward on Bard fame, has been on my show many, many times. I was a good friend of my former host of Real People. He, um, he lost his uh, working relationship with Frank Sinatra. He was a Sinatra's writer at the time because he was much involved in the effort to uh, save Noguchi's job uh, after when he, he came under such fire with the RFK assassination because his ruling there just completely contradicted what right. they were trying to say. And uh, so I don't know how, how much you know about that. Noguchi is oh, still yeah. alive. Were, yeah, did yeah. You ever, were you able to talk to him? Um, I spoke to him on the phone. He said, talk to my lawyer. And the thing that they wanted him to say was that instead of saying inches away from, you know, RFK's head, they wanted him to say feet, which would match, you know, the eyewitness testimony of mm -hmm. him facing the eyewitnesses facing, um, and, you know, the, you know, the actual, you know, actually Kennedy himself. You see, see, Sirhan was facing Kennedy the whole time, no closer than two feet away. So how could he possibly get him inches away from the back of his head? So that's what they were trying to pressure Noguchi to say, is say, can you change, you know, an inch away from the back of his head to feet, to two feet, you know? And so that's what they wanted to do in order to make it not look like a conspiracy that Sirhan had been the one to do it. Yeah, no, so, so you basically, how, when did you start, uh, is this, I, I, it looks like you're, you've written three books about Marilyn Monroe. You're going to be writing about RFK. I don't know if you've written anything else or not, but so Marilyn Monroe was your, your first go-to interest. So you just, you just started studying this. Did you study her life first and then her death and this, or how to, or did you strictly go, I got to find out who, what happened when the, she didn't kill herself? Well, when I did the whole Marilyn Monroe thing, I started studying, I read every single book and then I started interviewing people myself. I've interviewed Jane Russell three months before she died. She believed that she was murdered. And she told me that she suspected that Bobby Kennedy was involved because they had met at a wave function. You know, she did things for adopted kids. And uh, he was very happy shaking hands with everybody around her. And then when he got to her, his face just dropped. And so she said, well, that's kind of funny. So she got the impression that that, that she figured that he knew, that, that she knew his involvement. You see, when people are guilty of murder, they suspect that somebody knows. And so he suspected that she knew about his involvement and gave him, and, she, and so he gave her the dirtiest look. And she thought that was the weirdest thing. And she thought that he was involved as, as he had been suspected of being involved. Interesting. Did, did you talk to anyone else, any other uh, of her Hollywood uh, you know, peers besides Jane Russell? Oh. I, I tried to speak with uh, Debbie Reynolds, but uh, I noticed that um, that she actually uh, wrote an article um, where she said that she was murdered. 
that she believed that she was murdered. Really? And so that was uh, something that she wrote, and she thinks that it was because of her involvement with John and Robert Kennedy, the you know the affairs. And so that was something that that she strongly believed in. And there was just too much going on. I've interviewed ambulance attendants from Schaefer Ambulance that actually remember the call coming from Marilyn's house that night. Like Edgardo Villalobos, he's been working for Schaefer for 40 years. He said that Joe Tarnowski was the one that dispatched the call. I called, I even called uh, Carl Balanzi, the vice president of Schaefer Ambulance, and he said that um, that Joe Tarnowski was the one that took the call. I even talked to Joe's uh, wife, Ruth Tarnowski, and she said, my husband took that call. So we got three Schaefer ambulance attendants independently of each, of each other, remembering who the dispatcher was. And Edgardo Villalobos said he got the call first, but he was over at Beverly and Western. So he couldn't have gotten there if he was going 100 miles an hour. So they transferred it to James Hall and Murray Leibowitz, who have both asserted to biographers that Mar they witnessed Marilyn Monroe get murdered by Dr. Ralph Greenson with an injection into the heart, an undiluted pentobarbital injection. If you don't dilute the, um, the needle with water first, you kill the patient within a minute, and that's what happened. And Dr. Greenson said that the two attendants, he said, I'm going to pronounce her dead. You can leave. Well, the, the, and let's talk about the, 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 off, the first officer at the scene. So much of what we know of the suspicious circumstances comes from him. Right. And, and uh, what was his name again? Jack, was it? Uh... Jack Clemens. And yeah, when and my book, The Murder of Marilyn Monroe Case Closed, which I co-authored with New York Times bestselling author Richard Buskin, is the first Marilyn book to actually name the neighbor that Jack spoke to, you know, days after Marilyn died. And this neighbor was named Mary W. Goody Coons Barnes. She lived from 1900 until 1964. And so she died two years after Marilyn died. And what she said to him was, I've seen Bobby Kennedy go into that house a dozen times. That definitely was him. I don't know who the other two men were. You see Norman Jeffries, who was Mrs. Murray's son-in-law and a handyman to Marilyn's house. You can see him escorting uh, Mrs. Murray into, into her car, you know, after the you know, death, like when the police arrived. And uh, he said that he, was at, he and Mrs. Murray were escorted out of the house by two, those two men that uh, Mrs. Barnes speaks about and Bobby Kennedy, and they told him to get lost. And there was nothing wrong with Marilyn at this time. We're talking about like 9.30, 9.45, shortly before 10 o'clock. There's nothing wrong with Marilyn, and she gets murdered at 11.45, you know, when the ambulance arrives and the Dr. Greenson pushes them aside, says, I'm her doctor and injects her, and then she's dead. And the neighbors noticed an ambulance around midnight. And so, you know, what they did was Norman Jeffries and Mrs. Murray went to go to Mrs. Barnes' house. They waited until, you know, Bobby Kennedy and the two men, Archie Case and James Hearn, who are LAPD detectives, and they were doing security detail ever since Jack was a senator in Massachusetts. So they had a very close relationship with the Kennedys. Bobby's going in there with the police. Nobody's going to call the police on the police, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, Clemens... Clemens noticed so many things, and and obviously, you know, as he noted, there was, I believe, he said there wasn't a, there wasn't a, a a water glass or something nearby for the pills that she would have had to have taken, and uh, and there uh, the, a window was broken. Doctor Doctor uh, Greenson, and you know why why was why did Mrs. and Mrs. Murray really escape or Miss Murray out of the Eunice Murray, I guess, was the housekeeper. She escaped notice from. I mean, she didn't she like. Wasn't she shipped off to Europe shortly? I don't think she was questioned until years after. And she was the central witness because she's the one that did so many strange things from doing laundry at four in the morning or something and calling the psychiatrist instead of calling an ambulance or something. Yeah, Very curious. First, uh, you know, it's, it's misunderstood 
But according to Norman Jeffries, her son-in-law, she when she found Marilyn um, unconscious, face down, nude in the guest cottage uh, bedroom, you know, which was not the room where she was discovered by Sergeant Clement, they moved her, um, you know, to stage the scene. They didn't want to show her in the guest cottage. And so, uh, you know, when Mrs. Murray discovered her, Norman Jeffries said the first thing that Mrs. Murray did was call an ambulance. And that is confirmed by the three attendants I spoke of earlier who remember that Joe Tarnowski took that call. And so, you know, she was trying to do the right thing. However, the reason she was doing the laundry is because, you know, the two men with Bobby Kennedy had given her an enema to quiet her down. She was screaming and telling them, get out of my house. And, you know, she didn't want the, I mean, Bobby didn't want the neighbors to hear. So he had to silence her. They made her unconscious. In fact, James Hall said, I discovered her unconscious, but I noticed that she didn't swallow the drugs that were giving her distress. She was still alive when he got there. Well, yeah, the, Noguchi said she had, uh, she did not have uh, the remnants of it in her stomach, right? So it had to have been given exactly. to her another way. Exactly. Yeah. And, and in fact, he told Caroline Barris, he said it had to have been intravenously, you know, that, that she had to have been given an injection in order to kill her. And that's something that he has never told anybody else, but in private conversations. In fact, um, I interviewed Jane Mansfield's press secretary, Raymond Strait, and he says, I knew Tom Noguchi. He never believed for a minute that she committed suicide. And his superiors weren't allowing him to say otherwise. He wanted to blow the whole thing on Marilyn Monroe, said uh, Raymond Strait, Jane Mansfield's press secretary, passed away recently at 97. Well, and P Patricia Newcomb, who was uh, Marilyn Monroe's, I guess, press secretary, uh, she, uh, again, William Law, had a connection with her. The guy he was writing the book with, they set up a meeting at, I think, uh, a big restaurant in LA or something with Patricia Newcomb and she, they, they weren't wanted to question her about this. And she seemed willing, but then when they got there, uh, she was very late and she supposedly looked the guy up and down and just shook her head and said no and walked off. I don't do, do Did he tell you anything about that? Or are you aware of that? Well, I haven't met um, Mr. Law. Um, I've only been um, told about him by uh, Scott. Okay. Andrews. Just for Scott. Yes. He didn't hear that story. That was but... my co-author for the RFK book, one of the RFK books I'm working on. What do you know about Patricia Newcomb? Because it just seemed like very unusual behavior on her part. I've gotten unusual behavior from her, too. I, you know, she answered the phone when I called one time and I was just trying to trick her by um, I was trying to trick her by saying, hey, um, you know, like, uh, what about Marilyn Monroe's accidental suicide? I was trying to be innocuous by saying that. And it's not what I really believe at the time. But, and she says, uh, I said to her, I just want to talk about Marilyn's accidental suicide. She says, I don't. And then she hangs up. And <laughs> that was it. You know, I mean, the very quick, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so she that was wasn't my... one of those. Well, it just it just seems like, uh, yeah, there, there are so many questions there and obviously the overlap into the to the Kennedys and everything. And that's that. that so that uh, I guess well, Clemens, Mr. Jack Clemens, I, I don't imagine he's with us anymore. Did, did you get a chance no. to talk to him? I don't know how long. How long did he live? Any, I don't know. Uh, he passed away, I believe, before I even began doing this whole investigation. Okay. So I what's interesting, you know, he, he believed that Marilyn was found in the soldier's position, which is correlates with that actual photo of her face down. And that was an unnatural position for a suicide. You'd be, you know, moving your body in a different way. It just looks like it was staged that way, that she, the, all the lividity was placed forward. He believed that she was faced that way so that all the blood would pull forward and, and disguise any needle marks that were near her chest area. And there was lividity in her face and chest area at the autopsy. And I'll tell you another thing about Pat Newcomb. James Hall, the ambulance attendant, challenges Pat Newcomb. He says, he says that I challenge Pat. She saw that injection too. Will she come forward? And he challenged her on that.
And, you know, of course, what she she says, she says, I read that people say that I saw an ambulance. She says, what ambulance? I never saw an ambulance. You know, so she's denying that she was ever there during the time that the ambulance was there. Of course, she would say that. Well, after <laughs> after what William Law told me about uh, his the guy he was writing the book with, and I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, uh, scheduling an appointment. And again, much as he did with uh, Natalie Trundy, where, you know, they go into the expense of traveling to try to meet these people and then to be stood up. I mean, that's just I just think that's incredibly rude. But and she apparently Newcomb was late to get there. And then she just it, almost like you'd see in an aristocratic movie, just kind of stuck her nose up and looked. And I guess he did the uh, the test or something. He said no. And just walked off. It's like, you know, I made an appointment with you and you were late. I'm still waiting for you. So so these people have a lot to explain so what has the uh as far when your book was and there was a film involved too as well talk a little bit about that and then tell tell us about what what the response has been uh and did you have you had any response from people that uh we might be interested to hear like either hollywood people or associated with the kennedys or anything well i did a smithsonian channel documentary uh directed by rennie bartlett it was uh called the death of marilyn Monroe: the missing evidence and that was uh about an hour long and I was interviewed for that. And so was my co-author. And they said that they wanted to gather other viewpoints. So there were some other viewpoints that were mentioned in there that she had died at the Calneva and all that nonsense. But that isn't possible because if the ambulance called, you know, and they know it's coming from Marilyn's house and the ambulance arrived and they see Marilyn at her house, she can't be at the Calneva dying. So that was out. But they had to present that position anyway because they wanted to present as many positions, but they said, we believe you in your book that most of this documentary will be focused on, on your arguments. And so we got called to do that, me and Richard Buskin, my co-author, and we just uh, discussed how she died. And there was a lot of interest in that, and it was very professionally made. I was very um, happy to be a part of that. And it really did you know, demonstrate all the major arguments that are presented in my book. Cool. Now, what what do you think of the? My wife uh, had mentioned it. She's I haven't seen it yet, but there's a, a movie on a recent movie on Netflix. On, are you aware of that? Yeah. What are you are you aware of that? Yeah, Anna Disarmus. You know, I got to tell you, uh, this movie is such trash. And as somebody okay. who has studied <laughs> Marilyn Monroe for some time, you know, a lot of people mm -hmm. say that people who study conspiracy theories on Marilyn or you know whatever they, they denigrate them because they don't like. They want to believe that Marilyn somehow took her own life. A lot of people, you know, or, um, young women, 21 to 30 years old, want to believe that she couldn't have been murdered. And that's, you know, they don't like people staining the Kennedy's name. But, you know, this whole thing stains her name more than anything. It's It shows like actual rape scenes, you know, that never existed. You know, she was raped as a child. And, uh, you know, if she was raped at the Calneva, but they show like these uh, rapes by people who are supposedly her friend that we've never heard rapes from. And so there's a lot of fiction mixed in with this. And it just it, there's too much fiction and it's just not enough real Marilyn. And that's why, you know, Terry wrote the book is because of trash like this is to show the human being behind Marilyn Monroe to show that she wasn't just a sex object. She wasn't just the sex symbol. She was somebody who was a shy woman who was very intelligent. She was constantly learning. And she was somebody who, you know, was just not portrayed yeah. in that film in that way. And that's, that's why it was so horrible is because if that's all they think that, uh, that of Marilyn, the director, uh, Dominic, Andrew Dominic, he said, look, he said, he said, quote, and I'm just paraphrasing him, but he said, 
that if, if I want to see a movie on Marilyn Monroe, shouldn't I want to see the NC-17 version? You know, so he's a real misogynist, apparently. It doesn't sound like he's giving her the fair day and <laughs> wants to tear her down and yeah. treat her with a piece of meat that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, in, in the chat room, uh, Chris Buchan is saying the window was broken from the inside out, wasn't it? Is that true? Um, that's correct. It was actually done after, you know, the, the police had arrived and staged part of that scene, you know, so after Marilyn was already dead, you know, you would think it was done before that to correlate with Greenson's story, but, you know, apparently it was, it was actually done after Marilyn had already died. In fact, Greenson was one of the last people to see her because he's the one that killed her. <laughs> Well, what what, what Ter Terry Carger goes in the book, and, and it's mentioned. Chris Buckin mentions in the chat room as well about uh, he connects it to claiming that JFK, and we hear this about Eisenhower as well, that they're you know they knew about the aliens or something, and they're they're you know, where the bodies were. And Terry mentions that that supposedly that JFK, uh, I, I don't know, did he take her to Area Fifty One or something? What what is the story behind that? It's interesting, at least. Let me uh, mention this. Uh, we put a CIA document. That's where this comes from, and it does talk about Roswell. It does talk about you know, aliens and, and how, um, you know, Dorothy Kilgallen was talking to uh, an associate um, and they were talking about how this could be a really big scandal for JFK that, you know, Marilyn had been shown, you know, secret areas um, of, of Roswell and all the alien type of things out there. Now, as we know, you know, our government um, currently last year, they were just saying, well, we can't, you know, um, prove or disprove that aliens exist. You know, that was a big story last year. And so it's not, it doesn't sound as silly as it you know, does maybe a few years ago. Um, but this was a CIA document that was dated one day before Marilyn died, August 3rd, 1962. And in it, it shows that the CIA was wiretapping Bobby and Marilyn's phone. And in that phone conversation, they found that Marilyn was going to hold a quote-unquote press conference on Monday morning. She was going to reveal national security secrets like the president's secret plan to kill Castro and bases in Cuba. And that she was going to uh, see, quote unquote, what the what the newspapers would uh, do with such disclosures. So it was a real threat. And Bobby says, you know, you got to leave me and Jack alone. Don't call us anymore. You can't do this. And so he goes down there and, you know, and he kills her on Saturday. She was supposed to give the press conference on Monday. What? And now the, the uh, what what I find if you know, I lost my train of thought here. What was I going to say? But uh, the the alien connection obviously is very and again the Kennedy thing. The but we've heard for so long, regardless of what happened, that uh, there were inferences from mafia people and FBI people that uh, Marilyn's uh, house was bugged. And then we find out in the 1980s, Veronica Hamill, who people have probably forgotten that, was a pretty big star, Hill Street Blues and everything back in the 1980s. She bought right. Marilyn Monroe's house. And when they were doing some, you must know this, they were doing some- uh, you know, Wires uh, out of her roof. Yeah. They just, were surveillance wires. Yeah, they found everything. They found pro professional grade equipment. So somebody was, so, you know, somebody was bugging her house. Now, why would you bug this, uh, this uh, disturbed sex pot's house? What, what could- Anybody in power possibly? Yeah, exactly. What? Well, well, they had to be Fred something Otash. going on there. Fred Otash, who was might... former LAPD, he actually uh, said that uh, he was uh, getting paid thrice. You know, because uh, the mafia would want the same tape, give the same tape to everybody, and then you know the CIA, the FBI, and 
And so he would, uh, you know, make you know, three times the amount of money with one tape and just make copies of it and send it to different organizations. And so he was making money. He said, I'll do it for money. And, uh, you know, he I interviewed his sound man who passed away uh, recently. And um, this guy went up to his uh, Santa Barbara home and he says, what address are you looking for? And I mentioned his address. and He says, well, that's here. <laughs> so I was able to talk to him for one hour, the sound man who, who worked for the CIA, very scary guy. But he was like 88 years old and he's like smoking cigarettes like one after the other. I'm telling you, there was never more of a chain smoker than this guy. Like the, but like the guy from uh, the X-Files. Uh, cigarette Was it cigarette, cigarette guy, right? <laughs> right. Smoking man from the And so this guy, um, I talked to him for about an hour. Yeah, well, and Bobby Kennedy was sleeping with Marilyn, that uh, JFK was sleeping with Marilyn, that uh, he took out the bugs you know, um, on Marilyn's house. But before he mentioned all this, he says, who do you think I am? I said, you're the sound man. And then when his obituary comes out, it says he was an electronics genius. And I'm like, yep, I got that right. <laughs> and, and then Anthony <laughs> Summers confirmed it years later, just recently in his Netflix, you know, documentary, he said that he interviewed Reed Sutton Wilson. And I mentioned Reed, you know, uh, years before Anthony Summers came out with his name, because uh, Reed said, if you put my name in your book, you're going to have a bevy of lawyers on top of you. That's what he said to me. A bevy of lawyers on top of you. Well, put Anthony, your, my name in your book. Anthony Summers is a, an interesting case. I, I read his book, Goddess, which was a good book about uh, Marilyn's uh, death back in the 80s uh, when uh -huh. it was written. And he also wrote Conspiracy, uh, one of the JFK assassins. And that's been my wheelhouse you know, issue forever. And uh, But in recent years, he, he kind of always... Uh, he kind of backtracks now. His his recent work on Marilyn Monroe's, where it basically sets up the premise that she was murdered, but then he kind of backs off at the end. I mean, to me, he just seems very disingenuous at this point. What's your impression of Anthony Summers? Well, here's I mean, look, I'm friendly with him. You know, I mean, I don't begrudge him anything he wants to do. If you're going to say whatever you want, you can say whatever you want. I mean, if you have, I mean, I don't know whether he's being disingenuous or not. I couldn't say. But what I do know is that in 1992, when that a double cross book came out, you know, by a Sam Giancana's godson, also named Sam Giancana, you know, as a young man, he looked like you know Al Pacino from The Godfather for crying out loud. I mean, you know, he uh, was made a national bestseller with this book, Double Cross, and he asserted that the mafia killed Marilyn under Sam Giancana's order. Now we know that's not true because there were five eyewitnesses who actually saw Ralph Greenson do it instead. You got Peter Lawford, who actually made the statement. He said, Marilyn has got to be silenced, Bobby told Greenson, or words to that effect. Greenson had thus been set up by Bobby to take care of Marilyn. And then it would say, well, how do you take care of Marilyn? The two attendants, James Hall and Murray Leibowitz, said with a needle to the heart. That's how he took care of her. And the Pat Newcomb doesn't want to say anything. And the Sergeant Marvin Ironone, who was another witness pointed out by James Hall and also by Fred Otash, um, they said that uh, that he just doesn't want to say anything. He later became police chief for Beverly Hills. Really got promoted pretty quickly. He was 29 at the time that Marilyn died. Well, the the, the book that I was reading, uh, the one one that you wrote with uh, Terry Carter, uh, uh, My Merrill, uh, the, the CIA document referred to, doesn't it touch on, because another intriguing uh, person involved in kind of an overlap here, but especially with the JFK assassination is Dorothy Kilgallen who is right. really the, the only mainstream. So talk about her, because uh, I have a question from my buddy Vince and that talks about the beginning of the What's My Line episode where Arlene Francis said Dorothy worked for the FBI and then Dorothy turns around and said Bennett Cerf actually worked for the FBI. I don't know about that one, but uh, Dorothy seemed to be, did Dorothy have suspicions about 
Marilyn Monroe as well because she she was oh, very absolutely. absolutely she thought that that was murder she thought that the JFK thing was a big conspiracy yes. she was going to come out with something all of a sudden she dies and everybody knows now that she was murdered that that was yeah. not a, a suicide of any kind and so you know she definitely with as referenced in the CIA document you know she was just talking to an associate about how this was very strange how Jack Kennedy was known to have shown Marilyn Monroe, you know, uh, some, uh, you know, about the aliens and, and Roswell. Mm -hmm. So that was something that was, that could really, you know, be a big scandal later on, unless people didn't want to believe in aliens. Of course, uh, during that time, they probably thought it was just the, the elements of science fiction. So maybe they didn't have anything to worry about at that time. Right. So, so you go from this, so this Maryland run thing is obviously very interesting, but so how did the, was it because of your looking at Robert, did Bobby Kennedy visit there that day and whatever connection he might've played here? Uh, is that why you started looking into RFK's assassination or was it because you, you met Scott Enyard and started working and just wanted to tell his story? So talk about RFK assassination and then we can talk about Scott's story. Okay, I met Scott recently. And, and so uh, the thing with the RFK thing is that it, back in uh, 2000, uh, um, I believe 2012, or, or no, excuse me, it's actually uh, 2014 when I was, we were going to press with the, you know, the murder of Marilyn Roba came out June 3rd, 2014. So we were about to go to press for that as the previous year, 2013. And I had, um, you know, just started looking into it. And, and as far down as February of 2014, I started interviewing Don Schulman. He saw a security guard pull yes. his gun and fire hitting Kennedy. And he didn't think it was any accident. He saw him shoot him. He saw the security guard. He said to me, he said, you know, uh, the security guard shot Kennedy. And he said Caesar had disappeared for quite some time. And the publisher wouldn't let me put Caesar in there. They said he they had to change it to he disappeared for quite some time. Because Caesar was alive and they didn't want to have a lawsuit. And so um, I, and that was February. We went to press in June, right? So I started to include that in a little postscript chapter in my second Maryland book called The Murder of Maryland Road Case Closed. And I also interviewed Irene Gizzi. Now, what she saw was interesting about the Robert Kennedy thing. She was downstairs in the ambassador room shortly before the shooting upstairs. And she saw a five-person group who included a person who turned out to be the third shooter. Um, and then this other one that was the third shooter's girlfriend, Kathy Ainsworth. And then three CIA agents, David Sanchez Morales, James Hardesty Critchfield, and George Joanides. And she photo identified all five of those people. And then she asked me the question. She said, do you want me to draw a diagram of where they were standing when I saw them? I said, sure, draw it. You know, this is kind of interesting. And since then, I have found several people that have uh, you know, um, found this, this guy who turned out to be the third shooter actually present at the scene. In fact, uh, there were several people that saw him before the shooting. And I have two witnesses that I interviewed who saw this third shooter actually, um, you know, uh, they, they picked the same shooter out of a six-man photo lineup, which is interesting. You have two witnesses independently of each other out of a six-man photo lineup, including Sirhan, the security guard, um, a, a Sirhan lookalike Michael Wayne, and then this other uh, third shooter and, and another two other people. And, and, and this these two people picked the same shooter. And which, do we know that? the shooter's name uh, i would like to name him but i think you know since he's still alive it might be some legal issues with that oh you know, okay I, oh gotcha well thane eugene, eugene caesar is the guy we usually hear about i think bobby kennedy jr that's who he believes killed he was his a father oh. 
third shooter was uh, the one that you see this is interesting thane eugene caesar says i got powder burns in my eyes i don't know if you remember that but you know and the mm -hmm. reason he got powder burns in his eyes was because the third shooter fired the gun next to him between kennedy and shot at kennedy's head and then the powder burns went right into caesar's eyes and so that's how he got powder burns it's from the gun of the third shooter firing now those five people that the witness said she saw were one of those. Uh, I guess we were. I'm. An, I've always been intrigued by the girl in the polka dot dress. Right. Uh, have you been able to do more research on here? I wrote a lot about her in hidden history, but I, I don't know who it was. I just know that there's a ton of her in the war and, and assassination. I will tell you that um, there are. Uh, I'm not going to name them here because I'm still doing my research. But I will tell you that um, as far as the polka dot dress girl goes. There were three polka dot dress girls at the scene to distract people and to confuse people and to confuse future researchers, apparently, which was very successful. Because if you talk to anybody who's doing yeah. this case, they're trying to pin the polka dot girl on one or the other girl, but they don't say that there was more than one. I've had, I've I had, I've heard that point. That's like multiple Oswalds yeah. and multiple. I've had wit witnesses pick out different polka dot girls. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Because hmm. Hmm. Uh, what I understand, they, she had a, a characteristic, uh, they all described her as, of course, a great figure, which, you, okay, you can find multiple women like that, but uh, they all said she had kind of a funny nose, too. That's the, that's the people that I, the anecdotes I saw, anyhow. That's for one of them, funny nose, absolutely. That's for one of the polka dot girls, absolutely. A, a nose like Richard Nixon, as Sandra Serrano said. <laughs> yeah. Were you able to... Yeah, that's uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of a hot female Richard Nixon. I don't know. That's, a, that's, a, no, that's an interesting thing to think of. It just knows, you know, like it's the same, you know, it's all turned up. It's, it's, it's really very similar. You, you, you mentioned Sandy Serrano, who uh, was, was one of the people was certainly she was really badgered by uh, Manny Pena later. The tapes came out and that. Were you able to be Serrano still around? She, were you able to talk uh, she passed away, but I got her in 2014. And uh, oh, this, I didn't know that. I didn't know. Okay, yeah. About what happened with her is that okay? So it, it's been brought to my attention that she denies that uh, this other polka dot girl was there. So you know, we're talking about three of them, right? And we're trying to see, okay, well, she describes them as Caucasian. So there's only one other one that she could be talking about, and that was the one one that was included in the lineup at the time that I showed her. And she says, oh, what is this? Are you writing a book on this? And then um, when I showed her the, the lineup, I actually went in person to go show it to her. And, and she just stares at that little thing. She, she looks really, really scared and frightened. And she emailed me later and she says that she just is, it was terrified and doesn't want to be involved in this whole thing. And it was wow. really, I said that, that she, she acted like somebody was going to kill her over this information. And so I have a suspicion that, that she did see the two people that she saw, you know, including Sirhan, because everybody knows she yeah. saw Sir. But, you know, who was this mm -hmm. other three-year-old with the, the gold sweater and the, you know, the polka dot girl. And those are people that, you know, that she was looking at the lineup and those people were included in the lineup. And I'm telling you, she knew that they were there and she just didn't want to say anything because she knew she'd start something up again. Well, she went through, you know, just 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 listen to the way that Pena just battered. She was, now she was a girl at the time. I'm sorry. I, what did she pass away from? I thought she's still alive. Oh, I, I believe she had some kind of uh, some kind of short illness, and then she just passed away. She, 
you know, um, what, I mean, was in pretty good health before that. And it, it's just a shame. I mean, she, you know, she, Pena actually harassed her at a, oh, no, excuse me, not Pena, the other one, uh, um, Hank Hernandez, Sergeant Hank yes, Hernandez. Yeah. Would actually yes. attend some dinners that she was attending too, and he was kind of smiling at her and making sure she wasn't going to speak up about the polka dot girl. It was kind of like a, an intimidation tactic to say, "Hey, I'm showing up at this party you're attending that you're that you were invited to, and I'm just I'm just going to be here intimidating you. And I'm going to smile at you and just give you winks throughout the night to make sure that you don't say anything, that you continue not to say anything after all these years." So she has been totally spooked and harassed and frightened, you know, uh, more than you can imagine. <laughs> I, I, I certainly, I can't imagine. And she could not have been that old. I, I don't, uh, she, I don't know when she died, but you know, if she was alive today. I don't think she'd be maybe less. She's 20 years old at the time of the shooting. So if you do the math, I guess that okay, would so be uh, 40 or 70. Yeah. She, she, yeah. She'd be like 74 or something. Okay. 70. So, I don't, that's not that's it did used to be about it, but it's uh you know the the witnesses to the uh, the Kennedy murders don't tend to have long life expectancies. Although Paul Schrade, I'm sure you probably Paul was on my <laughs> show and uh, this was died uh, was it 98 or 97 98? Just a, it's just an amazing died. guy. I, I, talked him, I talked to him and he said that he didn't believe you know that uh, that Sirhan would be able to do the 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 part um you know to 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 do the shoulder shot, you know, like the part where uh, Kennedy gets shot through the shoulder, then to hit him in the head, you know, because that wouldn't make sense for the bullets to come from this way and to go harmlessly through his suit coat just to graze him in the head. He said that he'd have to be nine feet tall or sitting on Kennedy's shoulder in order for that to happen. Mm -hmm. And so he mm -hmm. knew that Sirhan had grazed him in the head, but he didn't believe that, that Sirhan was the one that did the shot that went harmlessly through his suit coat. It was another shooter behind Kennedy. He always believed that Caesar was the killer. He always told me, uh, Schrade told me that Caesar was the killer. He was very adamant about that. And then when I started to investigate the third yeah. shooter, at, for, for a, a, maybe a week, he believed in the third shooter, and then he reverted back to the second shooter. You know, he just there's some people that yeah. you know will listen to you, and then all of a sudden they go back to what they initially believed. <laughs> Right. Well, he, he was remarkable. He was still doing interviews. I mean, the guy was so lucid for being in his late 90s. It was unbelievable to me. It was very, very, you know, was very impressive. Guy. Died, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Who would ever think that? But, uh, <laughs> to, to, but, but uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., uh, have, you, have you been able to touch base with him? I'm sure he probably doesn't like me very much because of the murder of Marilyn Monroe case closed, accusing his father of killing I, Marilyn. I, yeah, I, you know, yeah, I, I'm sure that's that he probably true. Yeah. Like you know, but I, I know that he thinks that Caesar killed his father, but the truth is this third yeah. shooter did it. He's still walking around. This guy is still walking around. I'll, more information on him in my Robert Kennedy full-length book. Uh, we won't get into that too much with Scott's book. You see, I'm doing a book with Scott Enyart, and he was 15 years old at the time of the shooting, and he was taking pictures as Robert Kennedy was being shot. And so what happened was this woman named Joan Barr spotted him and told the police and said, hey, that guy was taking pictures during the shooting, this kid. And so the police went right after Scott, gunpoint, took his footage away. And there's a, even a recording that's been played in some documentaries where Scott's a 15-year-old Scott is talking to the police. He says he stood on a table that was a certain amount of feet um, you know, high. And he just stood up on that table and started taking pictures. In fact, we're going to produce for the first time ever 
it's been referenced in other Bobby Kennedy books, in, including Shadow Play. But we have this picture taken by Richard Harrison, um, who uh, was an amateur photographer at the time. And he took a picture of Scott actually taking pictures on the table. He was the only one standing on the table taking pictures as the shooting was happening. And so he was right. in the pantry. And uh, and, and interestingly enough, um, Ted Chirac testified at Scott's trial against the city of Los Angeles in 1996. Ted Chirac, the guy who did the second gun documentary, he was there at the assassination. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He walked into the pantry as the shooting started. And he said he told Roger Mudd shortly after the shooting, he said there was this kid standing on a table taking pictures. And so he also was able to validate um, his story in addition to Joan Barr, very contemporaneous accounts. And so uh, there's no reason not to believe what Scott's saying. He has too much backup to you know, ever say that what he's saying isn't true. Mm -hmm. And so it's a fascinating story. In 1996, he sued to get his pictures back because the, the police had incorrectly and li they had lied to him and said there's a 20-year waiting period. So he got fooled by that trust in the police. He liked the police at that time. And he thought, you know, they're supposed to be the good guys, right? But then he realized that uh, that maybe his pictures had been destroyed in an incinerator because the person at the California State Archives said, hey, your pictures are probably destroyed with all these other ones. And so he sued the city of Los Angeles, and he won. And he got over a $600,000 judgment. They reduced the judgment on appeal because of a, a supposed anti-police bias by the jury, which is a bunch of nonsense. You know, the police just didn't want to have egg on their face on this case. Losing this case was a really big deal. And they had hired high-powered attorneys, you know, and it was like Skip Lewis Skip Miller. And that was just not something that he wanted to have, uh, you know, to be a loser on. He never lost a case. And and he, he uh, Scott actually got uh, Skip Miller disbarred for one day, you know, <laughs> because of his tactic. Why he's the one that actually went and uh, meddled with the jury, not not anybody else. So he's the one that obviously should have been disbarred. And he was for that one day. Well, we still haven't. Uh, you know, we we still don't know anything. Scott still hasn't gotten has seen his film, right? Didn't he have the thing? Where he was supposed to have it delivered to him, and then there was a mysterious car crash, and that was stolen. I mean, that's, well, a, that's here's, something that uh, you know. This has been very complicated for people who don't understand what happened here. You see, Scott said at trial, you know, he said, "Look, he said you're showing me this proof sheet of my supposed pictures. Some of them are my pictures, some of them aren't my pictures, and they look kind of like, you know, they're out of order, and there's a certain grain to them. So if, if you know, he says, I worked at Warner Brothers Studios." If you come down with these pictures and you're saying you're going to deliver them from the California State Archives, I'm going to be able to prove to you whether it's a copy of a copy and not the original. So what then, you know, people like Skip Miller, who I mentioned, the prosecution, they said, well, you know, they thought to themselves, oh, no, we made a mistake. These pictures can't possibly arrive to the trial. They'll prove that we're, we're fraudulently creating the pictures that he said he lost. And so what they did was... You know, uh, Skip Miller started to ask questions, very unusual questions to ask. He said, OK, so this courier is going to come and deliver these pictures from the California State Archives to the courthouse. What color shirt is he going to be wearing? What color car is he going to be wearing? What kind of car is it? What's his license plate? And so all of a sudden you got a setup where somebody intentionally, you know, knifes the tire, takes the pictures out and steals them. But they're not the pictures that you think they are. They're not the missing pictures. They're the fraudulent pictures that Skip Miller and his team had created in order to um, pretend like they're, they're Scott's found pictures. And so they had to make them disappear in order to not show that they had been fraudulently produced. That's the story. That's yeah, not well, that they were ever pictures. 
Well, I, I just find it fascinating because, you know, the Kennedy, the JFK assassination, which I've studied for decades, uh, you know, we have, we still have never found somebody mentioned in the chat room, the Babushka lady, who we still, we still haven't really even definitively had a little unseen her film. There was no professional footage of the JFK assassination. People, very strangely, they stopped filming as soon as the motor, the press car was way back. It should have been up, up front where it usually was. So we have Abraham Zapruder and Nix and uh, Orville Nix and Marie Muchmore. That, that's it. But at least we have that. And we have Mary Mormon, uh, you know, and, and James the shots, the catch hit. There's nothing during, during the only thing, whatever Scott Andrews caught on film, that's the only ev visual evidence that we have of what happened during the assassination itself, correct? That is correct, because he said, well, if it was just Sirhan Sirhan doing it, why would they take my footage away? And he just to say, hey, let's have everybody look at it and see Sirhan doing it by himself. You know, no conspiracy case closed, but that's not what they did. Oh, the because there must not. be more yep, to it. Yeah. You know, more shooters that were, you know, they didn't want to be shown. And so, right. you that's know. That's to anything. When they, when, yeah. That's interesting. That's the when Anybody talks about covering up anything or keeping anything classified? Well, okay, you know what? Oswald was a lone nut, Marxist loser who beat his wife, was jealous of JFK. This is the nonsense they expect us to believe. Then why are we holding any files about it? What's, what does that have to do with national security then? What's so obviously the same thing that he wanted to he wanted to prove he, he wanted to prove he was somebody. He was trying to prove his manhood. Then why has he consistently said he doesn't remember anything? He's not. He's not claiming responsibility for it. What what do you were you able to reach out to Sirhan? I know my my friend William Law is friends with Sirhan's brother. I don't know if you've talked to him or not. No. And I've had Sirhan's lawyer on the show. Um, I'm wondering because we just went through this thing. Go ahead. I have some interesting material yeah. um, which suggests that Sirhan, when he says that he doesn't remember anything, that he's not telling the truth. And I'm not going to mention what that is right now, but I, I do. I'm, I'm about to be, uh, get it into my possession. Um, you know, I, I was asking uh, this one contact and if they still have it. I do have screenshots of the material. So I know that it exists and it's very accurate. And it's Sirhan's handwriting. And uh, it's, it's things that he wrote. And it suggests that he knows more than what he's telling, uh, you know, about saying, oh, I don't remember this. I don't remember that. I mean, come on. You know, there's so many indications that that is just so convenient for him to say. Well, yeah. I, what do you, what did you think last year about, uh, shockingly, that they actually re recommended him for parole and then Bobby Kennedy Jr. and one of his brothers uh, risked the wrath of his entire family. And now he's completely been canceled by everybody because, of course, they ended up, shockingly enough, Newsom didn't uh, – release him what what did you think of that did you think there was ever a chance of him being i didn't think there was any chance of being paroled but what were no, you I right away that gavin newsom was the type of person to say nope this ain't gonna happen and so i knew he was gonna put a plug on that i just knew it i felt it you know and i i mean people were telling me he says oh hey you know you're studying the robert kennedy assassination what do you think about what's happening with us and he's gonna get paroled you're gonna be able to get to interview him now blah 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 <laughs> And I'm thinking, yeah, not a chance. I said, you know, if you, if I said if I were a betting man, I would just, you know, go and say, hey, you know, uh, <laughs> Newsom's going to put a plugger on that, and he ain't going to get out. <laughs> but I mean, he's accused. Even if he's accused did of you, just, did you talk you know, to any of murder? You know, he shouldn't be let out. That's my opinion. He should not be let out. Well, I 
think we, we need to get, you know, most people think we have, it was interesting that Tucker Carlson, all people, when he was, uh, went on this rant about the CIA and the JFK assassination a few weeks ago, shocking all of us research community, he may, he actually mentored Dr. Lewis Jollyon West, which was shocking to me because, and of course, that name is connected to Sirhan as well. And most people, when they think of Sirhan, is a little bit different than Lee Harvey Oswald or James Earl Ray, uh, whereas he really seems to have been perhaps the real type of insurance in Canada. What do you know about uh, Dr. Lewis Jollyon West and his connection there? And, and what are your thoughts on, because a lot of us think Sirhan appears to have been hypno-programmed to some degree. Yes, you know, see, he's apparently supposed to be a very hypnotizable subject. He can look at mirrors and hypnotize himself. And, you know, there, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that he could have been a Manchurian candidate. But for him to say that he didn't remember some of this stuff, I mean, that was part of the plan is to have a Manchurian candidate not remember anything about the shooting. However, there's too many indications and too much knowledge by him that he had to have remembered something during some point of that. They say, oh, he was just uh, acted as if he was on a firing range, just shooting at a firing target. And he wasn't really shooting at Robert Kennedy. And and see, the thing is, is that all this stuff is, is true, that the CIA was experimenting with that. And they eventually came to the conclusion with MK Ultra that it didn't work. But they only said that so that you wouldn't believe that it was possible. It really was possible. And that was, uh, they, if, if nothing else, they set up Sirhan as a patsy so that the real killers behind Robert Kennedy, who were in a different firing position than Sirhan, could uh, you know match the autopsy report at steep upward angles and shoot Kennedy. Because, you know, Caesar shot Kennedy twice to the right armpit, and he also shot him um, once through the suit coat that went harmlessly through his suit coat. And then the third shooter came in between Kennedy and Caesar and shot him in the head. So, you know, the, the Caesar's not the killer. I'm sorry, um, Robert Kennedy Jr., but he is not the, he's not the guy that killed your dad. The third shooter is the guy that killed your father. Well, as you said, yeah, I, I don't know what I was thinking when I asked you about RFK Jr. Yeah, he's he's not going to talk to you after your Marilyn Monroe research. But I, mean, uh, that, I, believe that, it. I don't think. Out there. Yeah, no, that's it. it uh, but I mean, it's, uh, it is, I, I just don't, I'm not, I, I'd love to see what you found in Sirhan, Sirhan's handwriting where he indicates he knows more because I don't understand uh, if Sirhan knows anything because he has, he has a bunch of us that are sympathetic to him, that want to fight for him, that believe he was a patsy. And he, he survived, unlike Oswald. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't know why James O. Ray worked with, with people, worked with Martin Luther King's family. I, I don't know why, if he knew something, I don't understand what would be the best, unless that's programming, to just continue to just sit there because he can't be happy in prison. Maybe he doesn't want to get out. I don't know what, what he would be his, uh, if he does know more, what would be his motivation for not, for not talking? Well, the thing is, is that, you know, they couldn't have, uh, you know, made him hide his memories before the assassination. Uh, and I interviewed a police officer who actually told me that he saw Sirhan and I photo identified one of the polka dot girls and said that the two of them were at an event that Robert Kennedy was at at Robbie's restaurant, you know, two weeks before the assassination. Yes. So if he's going to say he doesn't remember yes, that, yes. I mean, we're talking about a guy, Sirhan, who's with yeah. this polka dot girl for the sole purpose 
of assassinating Robert Kennedy. He's participating in a conspiracy two weeks beforehand. It's not like they just dropped him off at the hotel and said, hey, um, you're going to be sure not to remember anything after all this. I mean, there, there were weeks in advance that they couldn't make him forget if that's what it was, you know, that, that he was at Robbie's restaurant. And, you know, it involved in this stalking of Robert Kennedy. Imagine Sirhan stalking Robert Kennedy, uh, uh, who's very much alive two weeks before. And, you know, and, and not and say, oh, yeah, this guy should be let free. You know, the, the stalker of Robert Kennedy. It's like saying that we have a stalker of Kim Kardashian and we're just going to let the guy free because he didn't mean to kill her. I mean, you know, I, I, please forgive me, Kim, for saying such an example. But, I mean, I'm just trying to say the celebrity mm -hmm. You know, or, or some other politician, rather, instead of a celebrity like her. I mean, forgive me for making that example. I'm not trying to, you know, cause any trouble with that. But I'm trying to illuminate, yeah. the, you know, how famous someone is. And you're going to just let them go for stalking when you have Billie Eilish, who's got an intruder at her house the other day, and say, oh, yeah, well, let's just let that guy go. He didn't mean to do anything. You know, I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? Well, Sirhan well, has a lot of interesting interesting interests and but uh, i think and i'm aware of that uh, sirhan was cited i think more than once in the weeks leading up to, with with a woman who seems to have been or now you say one of the polka dot girls but seems to have fit that uh, description so i uh, most people think she was his handler to some degree i'm not sure to what degree but uh devil's advocate here i mean we don't know what because sirhan was a very as you said he was very uh susceptible to hypnosis and then his his ridiculous diary which was produced i mean the rfk must die thing uh you know it, it he talks about uh, the illuminati which is you know, one of the linchpins of the conspiracy world uh he talks right. about albert de salvo the boston strangler he, he he talks pay to the order of pay to the order of sir so he wrote a lot of programmable type i mean it, it looks like it's coming out of some kind of program it doesn't look like natural Dire thing, like you know, I must kill RFK to avenge uh, the Palestinians or something. So, uh, my right. point, I think, would be that they nobody was filling. Uh, who, I, we don't really know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe the girl was acting like he was interested in him. I don't know. Is that possible? Well, that maybe he just thought, hey, my girlfriend, and she loves Kennedy. I don't. I don't know. I'm just trying to throw that out there. Um, well, I'm going to tell you this: is that the same handler that um, you know ticked him off to go into automated, you know, shooting range mode, as they say, or the Manchurian Candidate mode was the same one that he was caught, you know, stalking RFK two weeks before. So it's not like he just met her that night for the first time. He knew who this woman was, and he knew he met her several times before the assassination. Yeah, well, my, my, my point was, would, would this have been maybe a long-term pro long project that was being set up, and maybe she signed to him to some degree, either to be a honeypot, where, you know, she was she's good-looking. I mean, Sir Hans got a note for Maybe they're. I, I don't know. I'm just. I'm just throwing that out there. I definitely believe that he was flirting with him, and and uh, he he made the response that he wanted to, uh, you know, um, see what would happen with that. He's 24 year old Sirhan thinks that this woman is going to you know, do course. something, and she's just doing it to, you <laughs> yeah. know, for him to get to do what she wants, and she was an expert hey. in, uh, in being a handler, so to speak. Well, I'd certainly love. We'd certainly love to identify to her. I, you know, the the girl in the polka dot dress, or the girls in the polka dot dress now, maybe, and uh, the babushka lady. And somebody in the chat room said maybe there's more than one babushka lady. You know, there seems to be more than one. Everybody, there are more multiple Oswald. 
Oswald's multiple mothers of Oswald's <laughs> or one of anybody. I don't know, but uh, we're, I want to give you time here at the, uh, the end to talk about uh, whatever you want to promote. And again, give the titles of your, uh, I hope we went into Scott. Did we, uh, did we talk enough about Scott Enyer? And I hope my, my friend Scott, I, I think we talked enough about and talk about that book, what the title is going to be and anything else you want to promote. Well, I, we can't give away the titles of the RFK uh, books that we're writing right now because it's secret. We don't want someone else to use it. Okay. Um, but they are very clever, so uh, oh. I can guarantee you that. Um, but, you know, my third Marilyn book, My Marilyn is Out, and Terry's own mother believed that Marilyn was murdered. She was actually a best friend of Marilyn and used to hang out with her along with uh, Terry's Aunt Mary, who was Fred's sister. You know, Fred was the one that went out with Marilyn. And uh, so, um, you know, Patty, who was uh, Terry's mother, who was an entertainment lawyer, she believed that Marilyn was murdered and there was a high level conspiracy in place. She told her story to a few people at a party a couple days later, and then she was later run off the road. She thinks the events are connected. Yeah, well, there, there's, I mean, there's, I, and that's fascinating here that the Jane Russell thing. And I think you see, I learned uh, new things about this. I've been studying it for a long time. And, uh, uh, so, so I, I, everybody get his book. So you want to give the titles of the book or tell people how they can order? Do you have a website or anything? Yes, I have an Instagram, Marilyn Murdered. You know, that's uh, M-A-R-I-L-Y-N-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D. And then it's uh, on Amazon, My Merrill, Marilyn Monroe, Ronald Reagan, Hollywood and Me by Terry Carter with New York Times bestselling author J. Margolis. That's me. And uh, that's where you can get the book is on Amazon. It's available in Kindle and hardcover. And on the back, you can see colored pictures of Marilyn nobody's ever seen before. So I'm sure that people would want to grab it for the dust jacket. Yeah, I saw I just some pictures in there. These are inside pictures because she was friends with the uh, Carter family and they took a lot of behinds. So that's that's pretty cool to have, uh, you know, private pictures of Marilyn Monroe in your collection. So that's that's uh, that's very neat. And uh, I, yeah, so it's fascinating book, fascinating research. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Wish you luck. And uh, maybe let me know when uh, you're getting ready to have the Scott Enyard book published. Yeah, we'll come on the show together, me and Scott. Jay, can you hear me? Uh, hi, can you hear me? Okay, why is it? Jay, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I don't know what happened there. But uh, but hey, we're, we're okay. So it's, yeah, yeah, I can hear you now. So, but as I said, once once you get closer to uh, having the uh, the book with Scott Enyard published, uh, we'll have you back. Maybe we can have Scott Enyard on with you too, and we'll talk all about it. Absolutely, we'll show up together. Sounds great. Well, Jay, I, I thank you for being with us today. And uh, you know, we'll have to, everybody go out and buy his book and uh, you know, buy his books on Marilyn Monroe. Great research. Thanks a lot, Jay. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thanks. Take care. Okay, folks. Sorry. Uh, I'm going to try to uh, go to the Rockfin chat room if I can. I, I'm now on, uh, I've got the Ethernet connected. I got an Ethernet adapter. I don't know what that's right. It's it's all part of the big conspiracy, folks. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> what else can I tell you other than that it's all fixed? Uh, because no matter what I do with this damn connection, it, it seems to be. If you listen to me, for instance, like on, it's, 
uh, of course, it is just audio, but I do that every Monday, and I, I don't ever have any connection problems there. Nobody ever complains about that, and I don't see that much connection uh, problems with Zoom. It's but StreamYard, and I don't, I don't know what it is, but I'm risk being disconnected here because I'm trying. I want to check out the Rockfin chat room, which I I was going to the the YouTube. So we'll do this and. Uh, Hopefully I won't be cut off here. But anyhow, so we, this is uh, so I hope everybody had a happy new year. Merry Christmas because we weren't here. And I was to um, crazy uh, extended family. We we're all vexed. Uh, we were actually I was actually able to see some of them. Uh, so maybe they're letting their guard down a little bit. So it was very nice. I, I haven't, uh, you know, I, I hadn't seen them in a while, hadn't got to hug them in a while. So that was kind of cool. So it was very, uh, so, so far at least it's, uh, it was very nice. So uh, let's see what we have here. And let's see, Urban Rockfin. We have, it's Lori Light, uh, Hugger. Uh, let's see, where's Vince Agnelli, Stephanie Green. Yeah, Hugger said we were breaking up a little. Yes, there's Rhonda Tate. You can see Rhonda Tate, of course. Little John. Okay, I don't know. Not that many people here, though. Federal reality. Okay, so um, any questions or not? If you have any questions, shoot them to me. For Certainly, the first week of uh, 2023, it started out with a bang, as, as you might have expected, considering uh, how the last few years have gone. But uh, we had the, um, and I wrote about it. If you, I, I, if you haven't subscribed to my Substack, I hope you will do so. It's uh, also called I Protest. Uh, you sense a pattern, as the show is. Uh, DonaldJeffries.substack.com. Uh, my first 2023 offering. Uh, was called uh, Damara Hamlin and the Died Suddenly from on. So uh, the Died Suddenly web, and it talks about the uh, the football player of the Buffalo Bills and the very strange, very strange circumstances. And I have people like Mike Huggins, who uh, does the Vaccine Reaper Report, also on uh, Substack, uh, does really good work, kind of Sandy Hookish type work, noticing uh, anomalies. And there were some anomalies there. Um Chris said, did I get Chris Buckin? Did I get sick after seeing my relatives? No, I have not. Um, J, 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 J. Christine says, hi, Don. Catch, get to catch you live. Good. Just, thanks for, for being here, Christine. JT says, Don, why do you think this all occurred with the candies? Well, I, you know, and I don't I don't, I don't uh, create arguments for the sake of it. Maybe if somebody paid me a lot of money on an AM and FM radio station, then I'd do uh, confrontational radio, but I don't. But I, I disagree. I, uh, Jay and I were on the same wavelength in terms of Marilyn Monroe was definitely murdered. There's no question about it. I don't think Robert F. Kennedy uh, murdered her. I'm sorry, I just don't. And again, the only reason I, it's not, I, I have a blind spot with the Kennedys, but the uh, the problem I have with those kinds of theories is that uh, you know the Kennedys. So many of them have been killed. Obviously, they're uh, whatever they haven't profited much at all. They tend to die even if they get near power. Even someone like Carolyn Kennedy, who is a, as innocuous as you can be, she's harmless. She's willing to say or do anything. I mean, she won't you know make any waves at all. But she's JFK's only surviving child. So when she was a shoe in to be replaced, to name to the Senate as a replacement for Hillary Clinton, uh, 
they, the mainstream media did a hit job on her and she was gone. You know, oh, she said, you know, too many times. And I, I talked about it in hidden history. So even somebody like that, even somebody like the, the Kennedy guy, uh, the young Kennedy guy, Teddy's grandson, who again, just innocuous mainstream, maybe woke. I don't know, but he seemed like a typical, but he's a Kennedy. And uh, they made sure that he lost in Massachusetts to this, this archaic dinosaur Markey. So I, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't, um, I don't, I, I just don't believe that. I think that, I, I don't think that, uh, I can see if Maryland's going to hold a press conference. And of course the UFO thing and the aliens, it's interesting, but, uh, you know, I tend to not believe the aliens. I believe in UFOs. Yes. But I think they're more of a secret government project. So I, I don't necessarily think, uh, that was there. I, my personal, and again, I just speculate, I believe that Marilyn was killed as a warning to the Kennedys. I think there was obviously some kind of relationship there. And uh, that uh, basically, so they could see this is the biggest movie star in the world. We can kill her. And uh, what are you going to do? So I think that that's that's all I can, that's how I can figure. Uh, but, you know, is it... Um, but again, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, I could be wrong about the Kennedys and I'd certainly be the, you know, I'll, I'll be the first ones to admit it. First one to admit it. If I can find evidence that the Kennedys were involved in killing Monroe. But, you know, a lot of this is based on like uh, the book that I was reading mentioned and talked about the plots to kill Castro. Well, we, we know that, again, these the plots, to, and I talk about this in Hidden History, the, 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 J, the Kennedys tried to stop the plots to kill Castro. That was CIA, well, along with the mafia. They were doing that. When Bobby Kennedy found and JFK found out about it, they were incensed. And they demanded that they stop. So, But they still attempted. We have people like Jack Anderson later. These are the same suspect, Kennedy haters. And uh, they uh, later would try to attribute this to Kennedy. And, you know, so um, Chris Buck and I disagree with you. I don't think the Kennedys are a crooked-ass Illuminati family. Again, I think that they've... Uh, from their members, it'd be pretty obvious that they're not. Um, but you know, again, I must. But you, I think we have to have some people to look up to. Kind of. So, I, you know, forgive me, my blind spot for the Kennedys, but I just do. I think that um, JFK was, uh, in terms of what he, his mindset, in terms of peace, he was the greatest president we've ever had. American University speech in June of 1963, one of the things that signed his death warrant. There's never been another speech like it. It's probably the greatest speech by an American president, uh, maybe by a world leader. Uh, he talked about his enemies in human terms, and nobody does that. And he talked about he wanted a world peace, not in a Pax Americana enforced by Americans' weapons of war. No other American leader's ever done that. And uh, he also, also visited Appalachia, for instance, and, uh, you know, nobody went there before then, and nobody has been back since. And that's where the poorest people in America are, but they're largely white. So it doesn't fit the narrative because uh, a lot more white people might respond if they see white people living in these miserable conditions of poverty. And uh, I, th I think there's a reason why they ignore, but the Kennedys did, you know, and, you know, Bobby Kennedy's 1968 campaign um, that, it was built around, you know, not the war on poverty that LBJ started, which was a, a joke, uh, but um, uh, but it was a real war on poverty. You talked about we need to get rid of poverty, and there's no reason. That's why I wrote survival. One of the many reasons I wrote survival of the richest. There's no reason in the world that the wealth we have in America 
And uh, in the updated version of Survival of the Richest, if you're interested in that, I recently did an interview with Nick Bryant, who has been on my show before. Uh, very impressed with him. He uh, wrote a, a great book on the Franklin cover-up, not the one by John DeCamp, but another one where he went deeper into it. And uh, he also wrote the foreword to the late, great Dave McGowan's uh, classic book, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon. So very Great guy. And he asked me to be on the show. He apparently is a fan of my writing, which I was very flattered to hear. And he loves Survival of the Riches. So we talked mostly about that. But uh, the most amazing statistic I found when I was uh, writing an update for the uh, 2017 paperback that Naomi Wolf uh, was uh, wonderful enough to write a forward to. Very flattered by that, obviously. Uh, I found that uh, when you measure the wealth in America, I think this was... Uh, 2000 or 2019, I guess it was 2019. When you measure the wealth in America, and that's the known wealth, it's not it's not taking into account the, uh, the 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 fact that the Federal Reserve is unaudited, and we don't know how much wealth is hidden there. We don't know how much wealth is hidden in all the untaxed and unaudited foundations, from the Clinton Foundation to the Rockefeller Foundation and the Gates Foundation, on and on. Unimaginable wealth there. Offshore profits, we don't know how much money, you know, with these, this, the amount, exact amount that Apple and all these other people have, have hidden offshore so they don't have to pay taxes on it. Uh, but just the money that we do know exists, if you divided it up between every man, woman, and child in the United States, it would come to $344,000 each for every man, woman, and child. Now, I'm not suggesting that we do that. But I'm trying to, I, I use that as an example to show how much wealth there is. And it's absolutely sinful, it's shameful that anyone is living in the streets or in, in, in a tent that doesn't have shelter when there's that much wealth out there. But uh, not only are we not doing anything about it, again, the Kennedys wanted to, to do something about poverty. And my all-time hero, Huey Long, obviously, we, we know what happened to him. They, they assassinated him. But... Um, as well as the Kennedys. But when you have that kind of wealth, there's there's no excuse for having this kind of unfairness. There's no reason in the world for somebody to be making, as you know, as the, the great socialist Eugene Deb said, and Eugene Deb said a lot of great things. I'm no socialist, but he said a lot of great things. And one of his more profound statements was that I, I, I am at war with a system that allows one person, one man, to accumulate more wealth than, you know, however many, hundreds of or thousands of working class people working every day of their life for 50 years can accumulate together. And that's where we're at. And uh, so we've reached the point where, you know, what the, the bottom 50% of Americans have less percent of the collective wealth. So I think that there's uh, something shameful and terribly wrong about that. John Blassingalone said that they're, they're, Kennedy was going to put the brakes on the I was at war with it. And uh, Christine says she needs to learn more about the Kennedy thing, right? And I was exploring terrain theory and ways the body really works. Amazing all the lies we've been on. And that's the thing, you know, we've, that's why I don't try that. This, this guy, DeMar Hamlet or whatever. I mean, okay, it sounds stupid. You're talking about these, uh, you know, there's no lights on in the ambulance. And there wasn't. If you look at it, the, the inside of the ambulance isn't lit. How, how could you treat somebody like that? They took such a long time. They were moving at such slow speed. And as I saw a video about it, it reminded me of the old Sandy Hook videos where they took them down, where they highlighted all the players that were bunched together right around where the player was on the field and they were supposedly treating him. And that, that's, that violates all. But they would have said, get, get back, get back. They didn't. But they served to block whatever was going on there. 
They took forever. And then they claim one of the reasons they claimed they were waiting was they were trying to locate Hamlin's mother. What? I mean, does that, does that make any sense? On, on, what, on what universe does that make sense? Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. But um, I'm trying to catch the comments here and put them on screen. Sorry, earlier. Yes, sir. William Hill from Australia. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you, mate. Uh, yes, he did. Eisenhower had blood in his hands from German Operation Kiel Hall. And I talked all about that in uh, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776-1963, where probably, I think they think a million or so uh, Germans were expatriated back to the Soviet Union uh, to, to be killed, probably slaughtered, and uh, unconscionable. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure what the, uh, what the point of that was, but... Uh, that was a war crime, if ever they existed. And, and that book uh, goes into great detail about how all of the allied atrocities that the, the greatest generation, the good boys, I mean, from raping women, so raping so damn many women in Japan, they had to build a brothel to hold them, raping Germans constantly. So uh, good guys, I don't know. Yeah, to me, I, I don't know that you can that there are any good people in war. Well, the one thing I agree with uh, psychopath William Sherman was that war is hell. Uh, Chris Buckin says, what do you think about Jimmy Hoffman's dispute with the Kennedys who he spies? Well, you know, there's, there's a, again, there's a, what to think of Hoffa. Hoffa, you know, obviously was a labor, but Hoffa represented, uh, you know, all that was uh, wrong with the labor movement. Certainly you, 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 you had to have a labor movement, but the only reason you had to have a labor movement is because ca the capitalism system was so rigged and they didn't want to pay people a living wage. So unions uh, provided a great function for a long time because they raised the salaries of non-union workers. People like me, I never was a union worker, but I made a lot more money, got better raises in those days because uh, unions were viable. And there was always a threat that non-union jobs become union. Hoffa, though, represented, unfortunately, what happens is, if anything, and we see it with political movements. If it, you know, the Black Panthers, the KKK, anything, the Proud Boys, and anything that comes along, Tea Party, that might threaten that might threaten the corrupt establishment. They immediately put their undercover assets in there to corrupt it. So in the case of the labor unions, they immediately put assets in there um, and and got the mob involved. So that these these uh, these union the union leaders became corrupt, and you had them paying uh, for protection for the mob, like other businesses did. So somebody was up to the mob, was eyeballs in the mob, and ended up was killing killed by them, obviously. So you know you could argue, but even even with the mob, you could argue that the unions did a, a provided a service because they did raise working class wages and uh, and uh, benefits. But uh, Bobby Kennedy, you know, from all anecdotal evidence, that's why I have a hard time believing Bobby Kennedy had had an affair with Marilyn Monroe. He was he was like a choir boy. He was really a straight arrow, unlike the other Kennedys, and uh, he was he was uh, if he was ruthless, he was ruthlessly moral in terms of he had a moral code. And uh, he hated the mafia because he didn't, you know, he didn't like the killing and the violence. He didn't like organized crime. And he was ruthless in prosecuting it. So I think uh, he convinced JFK. I think he was, uh, he was, you know, what triggered JFK on many of these issues. I think he, uh, you know, the McClellan committee where JFK uh, first came to prominence and where Bobby Kennedy first came to prominence, certainly as a young attorney, uh, looking into labor influence. Uh, I mean, to mind that when they first uh, 
ran afoul of Jimmy Hoffa. White Wolf says Joe Kennedy was very hype in the club. He he was, but I read my stuff on Joe Kennedy. Joe Joe Kennedy Sr. has been treated very unfairly, I believe. I'm one of his few defenders. And uh, a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, he was a, a bootlegger and all, all these kinds of things. Uh, they, all of that information comes from either mafia or CIA sources, every one of them. And uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. did a great job on that. In fact, he was talking about a lot of things I've been writing about, about him uh, before in Hidden History and, and elsewhere. Uh, he talked about how these things are mythical and how they come from CIA sources. And what, and what I learned from Kennedy's book, which I never knew, is there was a commission, I'll talk about it in Hidden History 3 coming up, there was a, a commission that was established to study the CIA in the 1950s. This before really we knew much about all their shenanigans. One of the members of that commission was Joe Kennedy Sr. And he was the most outspoken member of that commission. And in fact, he suggested and recommended at that time in the 1950s that the CIA be curtailed, their power be curtailed, and they be limited strictly to intelligence gathering. And, uh, you know, that's a very, that's a shocking thing. And I don't think very big, but um, Chris Buckin says, yeah, America definitely people uh, want to go along with it. There's no question about that. But um, yeah, White Wolf says the metal, they waste, you know, they waste so much stuff. I mean, that's the thing. And that's, we look at it and of course I'm all over the place here, but that's what I typically do. Uh, Cause I'm responding to what I see here. The uh, Huey Long, you know, said ago, you can read, and I, I, I'll, you know, I had it. His, his, uh, his speeches in the Survival of the Riches was talking about the American government's policy back then, the agriculture policy of paying farmers not to grow food or to destroy crops. And he said, "You in this land of plenty, when people need, you know, we're destroying food. It's, it makes no sense. It's insane. We still have that policy. So, and I'll in my pandemic book coming up, Masking Your Truth, which I'm almost done." I'll have a lot about that, about how they claim there were shortages of food or perhaps they have too many. They were throwing away food. They said both simultaneously, kind of a double think thing. But they still had the policy, again, of uh, playing, uh, paying the uh, the farmers not to grow enough. Um, Vince says, no doubt FDR had long taken down or Wallace the henchman. Henry Wallace, <laughs> well, Henry Wallace should have liked him to some degree. But yeah, it, it certainly... Uh, Long, Huey Long alluded to the Roosevelt administration plotting to kill him a month before he was killed. And you can still find those. <laughs> I don't think you've ever seen any other sitting United States senator that basically accused the presidential administration of plotting to kill him a month before he was assassinated. That's still out there in the uh, the uh, the records of the U.S. Senate. World War II has so many great mysteries, Prick Buckin says. And if you think Yamamoto's assassination is interesting, look at the disappearance of Glenn Miller. I, and I cover that. If you haven't read uh, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776, 1963, please do so. It has a foreword by Ron Paul. I've been very fortunate to have people like Naomi Wolf and Ron Paul and Roger Stone uh, write forwards for my books. And uh, we go into the Glenn Miller. He definitely was, I, something happened there. They didn't tell, but they don't tell you the truth about anything. That's for sure. And that's the thing. Uh, it was Christine that mentioned uh, William Hills. I guess he's talking about the Demar Hamlin, the Emmons license place. I, I don't know about that, but I do know that uh, they didn't seem to have any lights, and it sure took a long time to get there. They didn't look they were they were rushing, and uh, I don't know some of these hearts heart stops. I, I don't know. That just doesn't seem make sense. Put a strip on the bar before me. Go back to a, a '90s commercial. 
Uh, Vince says, Ike, Patton, and MacArthur, the bonus marks. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I talk about that in the book as well. And, uh, and of course, later, uh, you know, MacArthur's and, and Patton, especially, both uh, had some good things about them. I think they assassinated Patton. There's no question about that. Uh, where they, uh, you know, they would. Uh, and basically, you had a guy that kept forward, and I, I always forget this guy's name. He came forward decades later and said he was paid to kill Patton. Nothing happened to him. In fact, he uh, he was uh, a member of uh, Senator John McCainiac's staff, of all people, the biggest warmonger in Congress. Um, so you'd think that you confessing to something like that might, I don't know, might make people attention, but no, nobody did. And uh, so exactly. And of course, Matt MacArthur was uh, famously near the end of his life. MacArthur wanted to have outlaw war. Very interesting concept. White Wolf says, as an hour, at least one million Germans killed in the Rhine. Yeah, he, he was, uh, again, if they were, and that's what, if you look at what I wrote about in Crimes and Cover-Ups about the, uh, the uh, Nuremberg trials, that nobody has written about that the way I did since, since the 1940s, I don't think. And I talked about how JFK, as a young man, writing profiles in Courage, had criticized it, how he used Senator Robert Taft was one of his profiles in Courage for his opposition to the Nuremberg trials. And is anybody opposed to Nuremberg trials? Now the right and the left, they, we need another Nuremberg trials. No, we, we don't need that. That was the, <laughs> the antithesis of justice. Uh, JT says family was at risk of asking a question, but it seems Hamlet is being stabilized now. Well, that's supposedly, I don't know. I, had, I have no idea about that. The whole thing is very, uh, very, very, uh, you know, troubling. Problem with researching conspiracies, White was says, so they always leave a, tr a lot of false trials that look legitimate at a certain level. Absolutely. And there's, uh, and that's the problem is that you have a lot of people out there that are in our midst and um, disinfo agents, if you will. Nobody trusts anybody else. And that's, you know, that's the way it is. I agree about the mob, but that's also how Joe Kennedy made his money. Chris Buckins said, well, again, that's what they tell you. And I've also heard this day, every bottle of whiskey sold in the U.S. and Canada, the Kennedys get like a dime. Again, I think that's, I, 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 think there that comes from either CIA or mafia sources. And keep in mind, the the Kennedys ran afoul of the CIA from the 1950s when old Joe Kennedy uh, was the first one to recommend, hey, we need to cut back of these people, at uh, these uh, agencies' power. They're out of control. Alan Dulles despised him. Then and Alan Dulles, of course, was fired by, by Jack Kennedy after the Bay of Pigs. Imagine his ego. And uh, then he gets appointed to the commission investigating his death. Okay, I, nothing wrong there. <laughs> nothing wrong there. But let's see, we got a lot to see what we have here. A lot of Joe Kennedy stuff. I mean, I, I, you know, Joe Kennedy, I able to, uh, White Wolf says Joe Kennedy was instrumental in suppressing father. I, I don't know, was he? I mean, well, that's John Barber's, uh, uh, John Barber. His favorite. He talks about the Coughlin. He didn't like him, but he used to listen to him all the time. Uh, I don't. You know, I, I heard Frank Capper once say that. Capper, uh, but I, 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 it's like Joe Kennedy is a whipping boy for these. I find it hard to believe that um, he he told Tom Snyder in an interview. I remember seeing back in the uh, the eighties, maybe early nineties, that. Uh, that when his movie, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, was made, that the American government was upset about it because it, it showed the Senate in a negative light. And that uh, ambassador to England, that's what he was, Great Britain at the time, uh, 
Joe, uh, Joe Kennedy was the one who had it censored. I, I just, first of all, I don't know why the ambassador to Great Britain would have had anything to do with a, a movie made about the United States Senate. I think it was a convenient whipping boy. I don't know why Capra thought that, but Capra did get more right wing as he got older. It's possible he became, you know, a Kennedy. never, you know, underestimate the Kennedys are despised. They really, really are. They were despised at the time and they still are. I run into that a lot. And, uh, Chris says the guests seem to feel that RFK was re- absolutely, and I think that's well. I mean, he he held the view of RFK that so many. I, I was fascinated by his, you know, Jane Russell anecdote because I think again, I think a lot of people feel that way. The uh, the RFK ruthless thing was the adjective that was thrown around, kind of like uh, Manuel Noriega was a strong man. You know, it's like they come up with these things. Oh, he was ruthless, but I I think he was he was really really. Uh, a crusader, I think, basically a crusader for justice. Um, and I think you know, if you if you look at uh, <clears throat> who the Rockefellers or any of these uh, <clears throat> certainly more modern families like the Gates, things like that, if you look in their backgrounds, I just think that you know, you look at what the Kennedys, uh, you don't the the only skeletons you find in the Kennedys' closets are the again these rumors about old man Kennedy uh, bootlegging. I, I, I should, and he had an affair with Gloria Swanson. Okay, well. You know, I, I don't know how uh, the same thing. If JFK had an affair with Marilyn Monroe, I, I mean, is that a moral failing? Yeah. But is it an understandable moral failing? Yes. I mean, I, I, I'm not a billionaire, but if I had a billionaire, that that might be one of the sins, first sins I would be susceptible to. You know, one of the great looking movie star wants to have an affair with you. Well, I, I, I don't to me, that's. That's a lot more favorable than the the, uh, the shenanigans that you find most of the one percenters doing. Joe Kennedy, all the evidence shows that he was a, a beloved father, that he was very involved in their kids' lives. And uh, they, you know, for instance, something he's been uh, really raked over the coals. I defended on this many times over his daughter, uh, Rose Kennedy, probably the most beautiful of the Kennedy daughters who was born... Uh, Using the parlance of the time, she was a little slow. She wasn't, she probably had a lower IQ than normal, but she was, you know, functioned well. She was presented at the court uh, to the queen with all, when he was ambassador to Great Britain over there. But they were getting concerned. She was, you know, getting uh, older, 17, 16, 17, 18 years old. And she was before that uh, she was getting a little wild. In other words, the boys were, I guess maybe they would have had an easy time fooling her or something. So they, they had understandable concerns. And at the time, there was this cutting age technology that had just come out. And again, nobody, you got to remember at the time, nobody knew anything about frontal lobotomies at the time. This was, and it was something that was not available to the general public, but a man with uh, Joe Kennedy's wealth, it was available to him. So inside people told him, hey, look, this is a revolutionary thing here. It's going to make your daughter just as bright and capable as all the other Kennedy kids. So he sends, uh, you know, Hazard, I think, uh, Switzerland or Italy or something. I forget where it was. Uh, excuse me. Um, <coughs> and uh, Hazard undergo this procedure. And we obviously we know what frontal lobotomies did. It backfired uh, terribly. She ended up with the capacity of a three-year-old. They had to put her in a home. But Kennedy's criticized for that. And it's as if he wanted that to happen. As if, as if he didn't do that out of love. He, he wanted to help his daughter. So, I, you know, I, I, I think if you obviously had known that was going to happen, he's not, not going to have ever done that. But again, that's the, uh, 
you know, the um, Sam Bodetree says the green is hard. Oh, in the house. Yeah, exactly. Well, then we're going to talk about that too, definitely. <laughs> we'll go on to that next. I guess I've spent enough time on uh, new uh, Medi says the Soviet Union knew the patent was an absolute batshit crazy glory hunting lunatic who the media loved. And if you ever got any political quality, would be very bad things. Well, I, yeah, I don't. Somebody, somebody certainly killed them. And he made the statement that, you know, uh, we fought on the wrong side of the world. A lot of people said, no, we didn't fall on the wrong side in World War II. We, we shouldn't have fought at all. We had no reason to be there. <coughs> but uh, Vince says that JFK wrote a book attacking communism while he was still in the Navy during the World War by Marvel's line. Well, he. Uh, Profiles and Courage was more of a right-wing book. Uh, I, 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 he think he did write Why We Fought, but that was more of a, uh, a defense of World War II. I'm not sure if he wrote an actual book on that. And then Robert F. Kennedy uh, would write later The Enemy Within, where we, one of the first exposés of the uh, of the mafia. But uh, I'm trying to put these things. Uh, They were despised, but RFK would have, well, I don't know if RFK would have been the best, but he was, he was the real deal. And he was a guy, there was no, he, he was a moral crusader. And uh, I think that, uh, again, I just think if you look at the people, you know, these are all flawed people. They're not Mother Teresa, although, you know, some people <laughs> said Mother Teresa wasn't Mother Teresa. So uh, Huey Long is, you know, he's up here with me. And then the Kennedys were down here. Uh I haven't found too many others. I, I've, I've been, you know, studying politics my whole life. There's a scandal pretty much in every one of these politicians' closets. The Kennedys, you have Chappaquiddick with Ted Kennedy, and I've written about that. I think that was his political assassination. I don't think he was driving the car. I don't think he was in the car. So uh, you have to look at that a little bit differently. Uh, Bobby Kennedy had no scandals other than, you know, he was ruthless in going after his enemies. and But he... Uh, was crusading for justice and JFK was beloved by everyone. And the scandals he had was a womanizer. And again, there's, you could say that about much of Washington, DC. And if uh, that was his uh, greatest sin, then certainly he comes off a lot better than uh, most of his contemporaries. So I, I, I don't look at, I, I, you know, I don't make any apologies for having a JFK Jr. was another one that was a, uh, uh, a really nice guy. He did not have any scandals in his any skeletons in his closet, and uh, we know he was about to enter politics. And so, so again, I think the number of cities have been killed. I think speaks speaks very well to them. But there's a lot of boy, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people here in Utah. We go back over to Rockford. He, he had his, Rockford, you can stare <laughs> and go over there. Really? Okay, I guess maybe there's Riley. Good to see Okay. Riley, that's my dog. Vince says, I'm the best. Thank you, Vince. Well, you're you're a wonderful guy. And I, I like that picture of you standing in front of Late Brack. I'll pass that on to my uh, relatives. Um, Hugger says, any concerns that Jay Margolis is funded by? I don't I don't think he's funded by the New York Times. He was a New York Times bestseller, uh, which I, I probably will never be. <laughs> Although I wouldn't know to tell you the truth. I don't know. Maybe they, did they let you know? I don't know. But um, I don't think he's funded by the New York Times. I'm not, I, I, I'm not positive by that. But he's uh, and he seems to have written about nothing but Marilyn Monroe and uh, um, 
and now RFK. So I don't know. Tom Cooper says Whitney Webb is the bomb. Okay, well, I don't know if I want to get started on Whitney Webb. Whitney Webb's been on my show a couple times, and I don't know what happened to her, but she um, she sent me a long time ago. I don't know. Now she's uh, she's got one of the most successful books that have ever been seen in our world, and she's got a pretty small over 100,000 followers on Twitter, too. So I, I don't, uh, you know, maybe she's doing something I don't see. And I, I you know, I, we're on the same wavelength. I agree with her and everything, but I, I have a, I have an issue with people that, uh, that don't, don't reply. And when I support them, they don't, uh, I return the favor, but they, I, I so I, I just, and I maybe it's more infighting that we see. And again, I, you know, I'm suspicious of everybody like everybody else is. So, uh, no problem, Vince. Thanks for passing that on. Well, let's talk about the craziness in the uh, in the House. To the extent that politics is still interesting, oh, Veruca Salt says she's. Are you talking about Whitney? She's from a very wealthy family. Veruca says, "Okay, well, maybe that explains. That usually explains most things." But uh, uh, again, I'm just I'm just naturally suspicious. Although again, I treat everyone I treat everyone at face value, but. Uh, I'm skeptical also. And uh, yeah, Chris Buckin says, is McCarthy like on the 15th? Yeah, I, I don't know what's happened today. I've been keeping up with it, but um, this is, you know, surely interesting. But again, it's, it shows, it shows what you, uh, what you see the reality now, the Republicans are trying to portray themselves, at least some of them are, about 20 of them, apparently. Did you agree that they're, I mean, again, I, I am suspicious of everyone. Maybe they're all bought and paid for. But to the degree that we can look at people like Matt Gates and, and Lauren Boebert and Chip Roy, um, they seem to be the best that we have there. I'm not, I'm not saying that, they're, you know, they are. Um, they, um, of course, Buggins says World War II saved communism. Yeah, it made communism, that's for sure. <laughs> it took over Eastern Europe afterwards. But, um, so um, the Republicans are, again, they have to decide, and they, they, they want politics as usual. And this is why Trump, why so many people reacted the way they did to Trump, who weren't in, you know, not everybody is in uh, on, the, on the entire uh, charade. Like I talk about the Trumpetstein project, Trump was an actor, but very few people put him up to that and were, you know, were, were arranging that and organizing it, planning it. Most people responded to Trump like you and I did. Uh, they responded to it face value. And, and, and Or not even that, because most people aren't in our world. So most people responded to him on a visceral level. Well, how, do they, how does his personality appeal? And that's why so many millions of people hate him. It's a brace of personality. But he also said some really great revolutionary stuff in 2016 that nobody had been saying. But immigration, especially trade deals and uh, the media, fake news. So that appealed to millions of people as well. So people responded to him on an emotional level. But it divided the country into these two camps. But the problem is the one camp, the Trump MAGA camp, so-called, it doesn't really exist because the party he came out of never liked him. The hierarchy never accepted him and worked against his interests the entire time. And, of course, I, I believe he worked against his interests as well because again I think he uh, he was he was an actor but uh, so now you see 
that uh, they want to vote for Speaker of the House. Now, the Senate is hopeless. Now, you have J.D. Vance in there, who seems like he might be decent. And you have Rand Paul, who's, you know, he's Ron Paul's boy. So he's not as good as Ron Paul, but it's about the best they have there. So, but other than that, the Senate is hopeless. Mitt Romney types, it's all rhinos. So uh, to have somebody like Mitch McConnell, that, if you, if you believe in this absurd two-party system, you have to believe that a party would, would nominate to always, the Mitch McConnell's the same kind of thing that Paul Ryan and John Boehner and all the people that they always, uh, they, all, they always nominate people who are identical to the Democrats. So it's a uniparty system. And uh, so Mitch McConnell was out basically campaigning for Biden. So this is a case thing for uh, an opposing party to do. Uh, and it's, it, Chris says his, his, his wife, Chow, he's got has a wife that uh, that uh, that is basically a Chinese spy, and so is his sister in law. So um, the idea that, that, that this is these some kind of is it a charade? Yeah, but to the to the extent that Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert, these people are real. I mean, again, I'm accepting the face value. Are they trying to create a party that to make the party represent the interests of those 75 million, 8 million Trump voters? And I think that's, again, those people are not in on it other than falling for it. And uh, JT says, I think Trump did get help from the Russians. Uh, I don't know about that, JT. I don't know what kind of help they, that he got. But again, because I think I think he was produced by, a, he was put up by the, the same elite that uh, select everyone else. But um he was done to to divide the country, but to the extent I don't think all these everybody doesn't have the end. Like people talk about the moon hoax or whatever. Oh, every, thousands of people work for NASA. You know, again, only a handful would have had would have known the truth. Any kind of conspiracy, it doesn't take many people because most people, most people uh, are followers. They're not leaders, so they follow. Molly Madison, Molly, good to see you. I don't recognize the name, has uh, but I but I like the name. It's very close to Delhi Madison. Has Don comment on Ashley B's mother arrested DCJ walking he interview? I, I need to I do need to get that. Yeah. Um Mickey um uh, Mickey Hocroft, I think her name is, was uh, was arrested. And again, is it any accident on today, the anniversary of her daughter being killed? Which is you know, shocking that they, they would choose to do it today. But um yeah, arrested for jaywalking and being taken away. I mean, again, you know. If you, my favorite show of all time is Andy Griffith, the Andy Griffith show. And Barney Fife was my favorite character of all time. But, you know, he was uh, one of his favorite things to do was that he was, he was, uh, when they wanted to show how absurd he was, he would go after because it. it's thought of, okay, this is like the, the bottom tier of, of, you know, criminal behavior. I mean, nobody, you know, it never even occurred to me that you could get caught jaywalking for decades. And, um, and then uh, it's, uh, but this 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 is what they're doing now. This is this this is the police state that uh, that goes after people. You know, like some obviously a political target because Mickey is not being quiet. She's uh, she's out there. Uh, she's been out there every day. They're singing the national anthem at night, and she's going to the trials of the other defendants. So she cares about more people people other than her daughter. And she still supports Trump somehow, which is amazing to me. And again, I, I, the woman lost everything, and she's still, still loyal to this uh, giant orange jack. 
But uh, yeah, it's shameful. It's it's a disgrace, and I, I don't expect anyone to comment on it. Maybe Tucker Tucker might, but uh, no one else in, in in mainstream media, and no one in politics. I don't think I would like to see more people in Congress, including those twenty people. I'd like to see them be more vocal about what's happening in uh, January sixth, and that is probably the most important thing they can do is to try to hold hearings to show uh, what really happened on January sixth, to show what a lie that was. But I don't expect them to do it. And this uh, this mockery of uh, you know this thing with with McCarthy uh, again. McCarthy is he's he's a he he's a Ukrainian cheerleader. He and again showing how Trump how absurd Trump is. McCarthy was disloyal to Trump like all Trump's best friends are. He never supported any of the vote fraud allegations. As and again as the leadership McConnell and McCarthy. They could have made more headway in 2020 if the leadership of the opposition party had complained. And then, oh, no, there's nothing there, you know, nothing. And, and Graham calling him insurrections. This is not an opposition party. And I think that's what Tim Gates, uh, Matt Gates, and uh, Lauren Boebert, who's hanging on by the skin of his teeth, they almost, you know, got rid of her. You know, no other incumbents lost, but she would have almost. And Ron Johnson has sent another decent senator. Those are the only ones, apparently that the voters wanted to vote out. But um, so, you know, we, we, we need to, if you're going to have this, this thing, McCarthy, you know, is, is uh, going against Trump and everything like that. So what does Trump do? What does Trump's dumbass do? He sends out a message to get it together. Republicans vote McCarthy's behind him all the way naturally. And this has been Trump's, you know, Nikki Haley, very vocal, viciously anti, never Trumper. So what can he offer as her secretary of state? She didn't take it. So, okay, you'd be a UN ambassador. I mean, he did this over and over again. And I'm sorry, nobody can be that stupid. And uh, so not that having a Trump guy in there is a big deal, but if you're going to have an opposition party, uh, the MAGA people, not Trump, but the MAGA people, the people that, that want, you know, they want to put America first still to varying degrees. They want to do something about the border. Uh, they don't support the Ukraine nonsense. They don't support the woke, absurd the craziness in the culture. All these things are important. And uh, is you know the the so if we um, if we continue if if you have the Mitch McConnells and, and, and Kevin McCarthy types and that's that's what the system wants. They want the rhinos to run things, and that is why if it's legitimate, this is a legitimate threat to that uniparty system because they're trying to force their hand and say, no, we're not going to, we're not going to have another horrible speaker here. We're not going to have another horrible, we, we got control of the house. This is the only branch of the government that the Republicans have. And if they're an opposition party, they need to have an opposition leader. They never have opposition leaders. There's um, JT said there was no other hires. Well, that's what we're told for Trump's administration other than insiders. Well, you know, uh, you had somebody like Judge Napolitano, who was a big fan of Trump, and most of us thought he would be his first choice for uh, Supreme Court. But of course, you know, Trump doesn't pick him, and, and he ends up making an enemy out of Napolitano. So uh, there's, you know, Roger should have been his chief of staff. I mean, this is this is uh, this is you know there was uh, to whatever degree Trump was sincere, and I don't think he was sincere, but he was by himself in there. You know, Stephen Miller, I guess, was okay on immigration. He had nobody. 
I mean, there. I, I saw that Matt Gates and these people are visiting uh, Mark Meadows. It was he was a horrible chief of staff. It was another guy that was he did not believe what Trump was saying, but this is what uh, you know is considered the opposition now. So it's um, Ray Ban says, "Who's going to man all the equipment we're sending?" Well, we're just sending how many billions more, and uh, you know, and this is again McCarthy's. Uh, well, he's for that. I can tell you that. Go over to Rod. It's harder. It's not that I'm trying to. You guys in Rockfin, it's just easier for me to read the uh, the YouTube comments. And, I'm, and there's so many more. Ray Epps still walks in his lawyer as XBF. Chris Grace. It's right. It's right, Chris. And. Um, Little John says, thank, great show. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, Ray Epps is, and that, that is, you know, we've talked about that. I mean, this is, uh, how does one, you know, I talked about that on my American, on the American Free Press uh, podcast with John Friend yesterday. Uh, again, how does, how does anybody even attempt to justify that? This is, this is a guy where everybody else has been, anybody else who was near Washington, D.C., uh, was uh, has had you know, a lot of them had their homes raided by the FBI. Uh, they have uh, they faced draconian prison sentences. This guy is on videotape shouting for people to go in the Capitol. So regardless if he's an FBI agent uh, or you know government informant, which he probably is, but he, regardless, if these if all the other people are dangerous who weren't caught on videotape shouting to go inside, how is this guy not only remaining unprosecuted, but a sympathetic witness where the January sixth committee loves him? And it's treating like a hero. The New York Times writes him up in glowing reviews that he's a victim of conspiracy theorists. Again, we need, you know, well, we need some kind of revolution. Again, I'm not calling for violent revolution because we can't win a violent revolution. But we need some kind of revolt. This is, I mean, it, it's getting worse every day. And when you look at this charade, whatever happens in that, uh, the Kevin McCarthy thing, Jim Jordan's not going to end up as Speaker of the House. Chip Roy's not going to end up as Speaker of the House. I can guarantee you that. You're either going to get Kevin McCarthy or maybe Steve Scalise, who was shot, okay, you know, survived that. But as far as I know, he's kind of a milquetoast Republican. I don't see where he'd be any better than McCarthy. So if you don't get one of those handful of people who uh, piss the media off and seem to actually oppose some of the stuff that's going on, then it's uh, it's it, then there's it, it, this is all pointless and I, I but I think though again the people never win anything it goes back to James Forrest I'll quote him all the time before they pushed him out of a window at Bethesda Naval Hospital he said you know this was random once in a while they'd make a mistake in the uh, people's favor and in our favor and you know if this was random as well once in a while the people would win the good guys would win once in a while. The good guys have never won in my life. As a, as a liberal Democrat, as a teenager, not knowing understanding, I thought the good guys won when Nixon resigned, but I didn't understand politics. I wasn't sophisticated enough to know that was just another psyop. Oh, that's great to see uh, Jennifer Whitehouse. Good evening. Respect always from Canada. I, I don't know, that Canada or California? Wherever you are, Jennifer, though, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to... Uh, and I appreciate everyone's support. I appreciate it. I've really been getting more 
uh, paid subscribers over on um, Substack. So very appreciative of that because uh, this is, you know, I've, uh, I don't make very much money from my books, um, you know, and that's, uh, it, but it's wonderful to have them. And I'm, I'm going to have at least a couple more coming out here. So maybe, maybe the uh, logistics eventually, if we get enough books out of there, maybe if they're all the little royalties uh, together, we'll add to something. So I very much appreciate people coming here and people reading Substack, people commenting. Uh, so it's very nice. And um, it's, uh, it's sometimes overwhelming to know that you have people all over the world that are listening to what you say and um, that are liking what you say and liking what you write. But so there we are, you know, with this, this is, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with it, but it's really the, the greatest theater. And I don't know if they want to do that. Maybe they, if, if they, but they only want to make it entertaining for us. If they want to make it entertaining for us, have this stupid thing come where Trump becomes speaker of the house for entertainment value alone. That would be great. Because I don't think you're anything better than that, is it? But at least it would be entertaining. At least we could laugh about some of this. Especially, you know, just imagine Trump sitting behind Joe Biden when he gave a statement. <laughs> I mean, it would be entertaining, and Trump would be saying his usual stuff, and you know, it would, you know, they'd probably try to get rid of him. And I, I was amazed. I don't understand how he can be, but apparently, you don't have to be a speaker. Um, uh, you have to be a member of that house to be a speaker without really understanding right because you know if you're not a, a member of the house deleted but apparently let's see if i missed anything over here in rockfin uh little john for speaker of the house he says well you know what i'd write little john over kevin mccarthy anyway and uh so who knows what he's have there but that's so the political between the NFL player and the uh, the crazy that, and of course the t the typical ongoing nonsense with uh, with the COVID stuff. There's always something to talk about, you know. And I uh, so I'm finishing up uh, masking the truth, which will be about the pandemic, and uh, that is basically when I want it to come out. Kanye, well, Chris Buggins says Kanye for speaker. Yes, that was I, I was saying the only thing that could be more entertaining than Trump as speaker would be Kanye. That would be great. Yeah. That'd be my number one choice. But, uh, and they really want to entertain us to do that. That would be, uh, but, you know, they don't, this is the thing that they don't, they don't even seem to like drama. They don't, they don't even want to keep us entertained at all. And, um, oh, oh, Ray, I guess Ray Band is Ray Bo. Okay. Maybe if you'd stop plastering up my comments, the obvious lagging and interference wouldn't start on cue with such. I'm not sure what you mean, but okay. <laughs> so you're the artist formerly known as Raybo. Now he's Ray Band. Okay. Um, I like Ray Band better. That's a cool name. But uh, I'm not pl plastering up anybody's comments, but uh, believe in free speech here. Anybody can say what they want. But it's worth it. You know, I, I still, you know, people say, well, you're watching Tucker. And I mean, first of all, I still hold out hope to get on Tucker. I still do. I think it's possible. That uh, you know, there's uh, there's lots of people that I know who get in there, and I think uh, it's just a question of uh, you know, if he can get my attention. Uh, Ray Ban says, "Don, do what Philly, Billy Ray Valentine told you to do, and buy an actual actual physical land cable to go from your computer to outer." <laughs> so, am I still breaking up? I bought a uh, a Ethernet uh, adapter, so I'm on Ethernet now. I, if I'm breaking up, I apologize. I don't know. 
but I, I'm going to try to get with my cable company again. It's just if I switch providers, I think the problem is there. I think it's probably in um, some of the wirings outside. It has to be because every time I do, uh, when I do an internet speed test, it always says your internet is very fast and I'm on ethernet. So I, it makes no sense. And it seems to be mostly on StreamYard. That's it. So there's no reason for it. It says I should be able to handle multiple devices and everything. And uh, for whatever reason, it's not. Christine says, yes, I do break up a lot. It's not too bad tonight. Well, that's not, yeah. I, don't, I guess part of my, I don't know, like my squeaky chair, I guess. But uh, hopefully you guys would still like me if I, uh, if I have a, a real stable connection and a chair that doesn't squeak. But um, at any rate, we do the best we can with uh, what we have, but I, I'm going to check it new because if it's still breaking, I don't know what else I can do. I'm on Ethernet now. It says I have a fast connection, so I think it must be somewhere in the wiring outside. And uh, But getting them to, to do something about it is easier said than done. Chris said he heard my hair squeak on her. Yeah, it rents as mentioned it. Against us. <laughs> Christine, squeaky series. Okay, well, you know, people have... Uh, that's still any plans in that. But close that. And a lot of times when I when I open the white the uh, Sam's buddy tree says we love you, Don. Well, I I love you guys. I appreciate that. And Ray Ban says his love for the chair is unequal. Even those plastic Walmart shelves don't hold the level of fondness at the chair. <laughs> I think Ray-Ban loves the chair more than me. He seems to have issues with me, but the chair can do no wrong. So, <laughs> well, it's nice. Whoever thought uh, whoever thought that would happen. But so, um, yeah, I hope all you guys have a great, uh, you know, hope that this, you know, will 2023 be better? Uh, what are the odds of that? And, uh, you know, compared to the last, we said about 2020, we said about 2021, we said about 2022. Uh, but today, you know, January 6th is the obviously the anniversary. Um, oh, Tony's here. Chris says tons over to him. Tony's here. Tony, how's it going? <laughs> I'm always showing up to shut down the fun now. Is that the way, <laughs> that's the way I'm seeing the eye protest? I, on. I, I can't. Right. I, I had to handle like 45 minutes of customers here at the end of the, the business day at Wise Wolf. So sorry about that. I can hear you in the how background. How did how did it, did it sound? Were we breaking up a lot? I, I don't know what to do. I've got an Ethernet adapter here. I, I don't know. Was I still breaking up a lot? I guess everything I heard was okay. I you're fine now. Uh, there's no. I don't okay. see any skipping or any issues. I might have missed any parts that that had um, any you know failure of connection, but I don't I don't think so, Don. Okay. Well, okay. Well, good. Hopefully, it's better. So, what what were your impressions of what we talked about? Oh well, I, the the subject matter goes right in line with uh, on borrowed fame for sure, and uh, I thought I thought it was a smart conversation. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, there's there's so much mystery still to be extracted out of those you know, the, the movie stars of the 1950s and 60s, and all that uh, that surrounds JFK and mm -hmm. the, you know and, and Monroe and RFK. Uh, you know, there's there's yeah. still a lot, and you just don't get any more Americana than that anyway. No, yeah, it's it's fascinating stuff. I never tire talking about. It. So, what are, what are you uh, 
what do you think uh, as, as far as Speaker of the House? Or maybe we can draft Tony to uh, run because they're claiming you don't have to be a member. That that Trump oh, you don't have be to speaker. be a member. I, I think it's hilarious. I talked about it on my show today. I said, so you have the grassroots people that have put up the first fight this long for speakers <laughs> in 160 some odd years. And when you get down to the nitty gritty, the guy that they nominated nominated the establishment guy. So I'm like, you guys can't even run through they talk correctly. Like if you're exactly. the establishment, be together on this. It's just it's so it's, yeah. it just Republicans have a built in default system for failure. I don't know why they do that, but like, it's just, yeah. it's so, there's so close, but there's no one to nominate. I mean, people yeah. said you could make, I mean, Matt Gates put up Donald Trump, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I would find that hilarious. Uh, well, it would be entertaining. You got to admit that would be entertaining. I, I, I admit <laughs> that. And the thing is, if you nominated someone that incompetent, then they couldn't get anything done. Oh, I'm a fan of nothing happening. I'm a fan of yeah, nothing getting yeah. passed because you've already done enough yeah. damage. Let it run its core. Like it, grid, gridlock 2024 is what I'm looking for, Don. Yeah, gridlock is our friend. And well, Trump would Trump would gum up the works and he would be entertaining, but I love it. I think that that's I think that's a hope for because but I I think you're gonna get Kevin McCarthy convictions, but you know, nothing they like you said, they never they find a way the grassroots side, whatever you want to call them, they never win. So if they win, this would be a first, but we'll, we'll be interested to see. But I guess uh you know it is what it is, but we'll uh, we'll be talking more about this on uh America sure. Unplugged tomorrow. America so Unplugged. AU, AU, ladies and gentlemen. It's the gold standard on rockfin.com, 11 a.m. Central Time. The legendary Don Jeffries, Billy Ray Valentine, and uh, also me. I'm on there. Absolutely. Well, we can't, that's always look forward to it every week. So thanks, everybody, for listening to I Protest. We'll be back with you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Thanks a lot.